You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Hello, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to Review and Preview. I'm Tom Scavetta, your host, joined alongside my co-host, James Montefusco. Kyle Russo will be joining us later on tonight for the last 30 to 45 minutes of the show. But uh, we do have a special guest joining us tonight. He is a returning guest. And without further ado, uh, Jordan Spurgeon joins the show. Jordan, hello and uh, welcome back. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Always glad to come on, review and preview. It's always a good time. You guys are doing great stuff. So, yeah. Um, for those of you who haven't seen you yet, can you just uh, tell the folks where they can find uh, your content? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a student at Arizona State University right now, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Spurge underscore or on Facebook, Jordan Spurgeon. I usually post stuff there, you know, for the family to check out and other people that follow and all that. So, yeah, you can find all my content right there, and sometimes I'm on Twitch. It's been a little bit uh, streaky lately, but school's over, so maybe we can uh, get that back on back on roll, but yeah. Very nice. Getting uh, that semester done early. Make sure to go check Jordan out on all platforms and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at Review and Preview Sports. Uh, just got it up a month ago. Make sure to smash the like button if you like what you see, folks, and we'll be getting uh, this exclusive part of our show up there tonight. Um, and uh, Andrew Hopper says hello. What's up, fellas? Andy, thank you very much for joining us uh, in the live stream. Keep those comments coming. Uh, so without further ado, um, we're going to just run down the show. We're going to get into some college football, followed by the NFL playoff picture. We'll run down the AFC, followed by the NFC. Then we will get into some uh, head coach hot topics, some of the head coaches that are on the hot seat, followed by the rest of the NFL games throughout the course of the week. Uh, so make sure to follow us on that ticker below if you are watching and new to this and um, – Make sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, and uh, James. By the way, I love your jersey, uh, James Bradbury. Yes, correct. Thank you. It um, it was a birthday present that just came in the mail. I believe it was Saturday, so I was like, "Oh, I'm wearing this for the show on Tuesday." <laughs> so had to. I had to update the jersey. I had a JPP jersey for quite some time that needed a little bit of an update, and Bradbury's been playing phenomenal. So. Definitely one of my favorite players on the team right now. He's been doing great. But uh, let's get into some college football talk, guys. There were um, a lot of good games this week. Actually, a lot of great upsets. And one upset, Jordan, I kind of had my head shook by was Indiana beating Wisconsin in an intense, low-scoring tilt in the Big Ten without their starting quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., who got injured the week before. How shocked were you by this result? So I was pretty shocked, but fun tidbit, I covered Jack Tuttle his senior year in high school. Him and Chris Olave played at the same school over in San Diego, and he's a big-time player. When I watched him play, I, I knew he's a guy that has NFL potential. So you lose Michael Penix Jr., but but Jack Tuttle, uh, he was at Utah first, ended up transferring to Indiana. He's a legit quarterback, and he looked pretty good. The, the numbers aren't jaw-dropping, you know, 13 of 22, 130 for two touchdowns, but the way the game played out, it was very low scoring. It was a defensive matchup. So I was a little bit surprised, but knowing Jack Tuttle, I wasn't completely shocked either. 
I agree. I mean, I think Wap Fillier did a nice job too. And I believe they have Ty Freifogel as well, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, though, and by the way, two excellent names for wide receivers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not often you see those types of names, but I, I really like what they did in this game. Uh, that holding Wisconsin to six points. I mean, Wisconsin just looked frustrated offensively. Now, can Indiana make the Big Ten title game? Because obviously we know Northwestern has clinched a spot. And the news breaking today that Ohio State has their game canceled against Michigan, guys. Um, And you have to play at least six games to qualify. So right now, it's looking like Ohio State or Indiana, it's looking like Indiana might have an edge over Ohio State. Do we think this is going to stand? Or obviously Ryan Day has come out and said that, you know, he he thinks Ohio State needs another game, deserves to uh, (laughs) – deserves to uh, his team to make the Big Ten title game. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Well, that was actually ESPN updating me on that, too. It was talking about who's in, who's not in. They're watching live now. Uh, that's a good little timing. But, no, I, I think I think Indiana's got the front track. Uh, the whole Ohio State situation, I know we might get into it later. It's a lose-lose situation for the Big Ten. You have your your, your marquee prize in Ohio State missing the game, or you ta- you cater to them and you take a team like Indiana out. So they're kind of in a lose-lose spot. But as things are right now, I, I don't see a reason why they wouldn't be able to get in. And I, I think Ohio State might get the short end of the stick here. Yeah, no, James, I, I, I want to get to your point in a second. But yeah. I just want to add to that saying, I think Indiana, even though they're on the road and on the new college football show I'm appearing on with Andy Hopper, actually, who commented, uh, it's called From the Stands. We made a prediction saying Indiana wasn't going to win this game. But being on the road, and knowing that Wisconsin has only played two to three games, they're still trying to get the rust off their feet. Indiana's played more games. They have more reps and, you know, a full first week, uh, a full week of first team reps for uh, Jack Tuttle. I mean, I'm not shocked that Indiana came away with it, James. Yeah, no, neither am I. And it really, um, it kind of proves to the league that a number 12 can upset a number eight. I know it's not, as big as an up uh, 12 upsetting a five, but the way college football is at the moment between Ohio state on, you know, decent amount of players on a COVID list, are they going to be in, are they going to be out? I think they kind of name themselves at the moment to be like, I just beat a number eight team in this kind of environment. Let me in, even though say if Ohio state does get the shorter end, it's a dip. It makes, it'll make it a lot different instead of always seeing Ohio State in the championship rounds or like in the, one of the finals rounds, you know, give a different team a shot, you know, who knows what's going to happen in a sense. Yeah, right. I mean, too, I mean, as a Notre Dame fan, I mean, I, I love this news as well. I, I would prefer Ohio State stay out of the top four, <laughs> um, although I do think we could beat them with the way our defense has been this year. But um, let's move on to another game. I want to talk about that coastal wave, guys. I, I picked them. I picked them to pull the upset over BYU, Um, and the reason being, you know, I knew they were home, but a lot of people were just so shocked by this game, and Zach Wilson has potential top five prospect written all over him this year with the way he's been playing. He was abused in this game, and Coastal's defense just showed up. I mean, they only gave up 17 points. They're undefeated on the year. Their rushing attack was great. 
It was kind of like the way the Giants beat the Seahawks on Sunday, running the ball and defense. Uh, Jordan, what is your take on this game? Yeah, I, I think we we had a comeback to earth moment with Zach Wilson. Um, I, I've watched a lot of tape on him. It's something I've been doing for work is watching more tape. And I get the comparisons to Joe Burrow from last year as far as kind of popping on the map like that and potentially being a high uh, draft pick and I still think he is he has that potential but the argument to say that he's one of the top three that he can you know eclipse one of the top three I think is you know asinine and I think this game sort of proved that. I know it, it just it was a bad matchup it's a game that comes together last minute uh, really tough to do especially with everything going on this year um, but it is part of college play college football and the great programs and the great players have found ways to overcome that and BYU and Zach Wilson just weren't able to this time. So I wasn't necessarily shocked by it. I think Coastal Carolina just was more ready to play this game, more eager to play than 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 they were. I really like CJ Brewer as well. I think Tehran Jackson is, I think that's how you pronounce that. Uh came into this game, I believe, with eight and a half sacks. So he's been a beast all over the field for them. As I mentioned, CJ Marable, they were unable to contain him 132 yards and two touchdowns. Now uh, BYU, they were ranked 13th coming into this game. Any outside chance that they had is gone. Um, they don't. They just don't play enough quality opponents to really put themselves in that discussion. But Coastal Carolina now moving up to number 11. You know, it's crazy. If we had an 18 playoff, we'd probably be talking about Coastal Carolina a little bit more right now. Uh, Grayson McCall, no pun intended, was up to the call Saturday, but he only did throw for 85 yards. I mean – you know, I, I don't think passing yards is necessarily the biggest stat you need to win football games. I mean, we saw it. BYU, a lot of skilled players on their roster were not able. I mean, a great defense beat a great offense, James. A lot of people were arguing that this guy, Zach Wilson, a lot of teams that had this guy on their radar, what Coastal Carolina was able to do to them, not a notorious big-name school, hurt Zach Wilson's stock for the 2021 NFL draft, maybe just a little bit. So to be honest with you, I really haven't heard much about Coastal Carolina because like Tom said, many people don't, uh, yeah. their field is phenomenal. Uh, I think that the blue color on it is pretty sick. Uh, just a little side note, but that's what happens when a team like I'll, I'll reference Seattle versus the Giants. And we'll talk about them later on. But a team that's not very good going into, say, it was what, BYU. BYU probably like, all right, Coastal Carolina, we should be able to march right all over them, march down the field, score plenty of plenty of points. It's almost like that same effect that we saw on Sunday with the Giants and Seahawks. The Seahawks probably thought we can walk all over these New York Giants, and, well, the Giants stunned them. And that's the same thing that happened to Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina stunned BYU, and it is going to hurt their quarterback's rating in the draft class. Now, will he not be, say, first round? I don't know. I'm not really sure where he was exactly placed right now, Um, but it probably will hurt his stock a little bit, but I think it depends on how well he plays for the the rest, in a sense. You know? It it definitely does. I I feel like one thing with prospects, I think uh, you take out the worst game, you take out the best game, and, that, and then you find out who they are by looking at everything yep. else. So it definitely affects it a little bit, but it's not going to be dramatic. It just that that idea that he was a, a tier one quarterback in this draft, I think, is going to start slipping a little bit. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think you go from scoring 66 points against Northern Alabama to 17 <laughs> uh, this past week. 
but I do I, I really like your take on that, Jordan. You take away the their best game and their worst performance and then really see who they are because that's the difference between good and great. What can you do yeah. when you're facing adversity at times? Uh, and you want to know what you do more towards like the in-between type of games. But uh, let's move on to the next game. The Cowboys of Oklahoma State fall to TCU. Um, I, I'm i going to be honest. I'm going to say it. I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked that they <laughs> lost. Max Dugan or Duggan was up to the call. He was fantastic. Personally, I knew – I mean, he's a dual-threat type of quarterback. He's good with his feet. He's good through the air. Had three total touchdowns and – it just seemed like Oklahoma State threw kind of a dud, and I think there was a little bit of a hangover from the Oklahoma game. They just got started way too late. Uh, were, were you guys surprised? I mean, three games so far we're talking about, three upsets. So, uh, you know, this is all – I mean, this is really a lot of great stuff. I mean, you love to see it. That's 2024, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that sums it up. I think that's just the phrase of the year. That's 2020. Anything weird, you can just chalk it up to that. But, no, this, this is good for a TCU program that has really faltered the last couple of years. And they've had some guys, you know, pretty good draft prospects, first, second round that have come into the league. Jeff Gladney is someone that pops to mind. Um, but they haven't really been a great team. And so while they've still been inconsistent, this is a good win for the program. So I, I was definitely shocked because I haven't seen a lot from the Horn Frogs. But um, this could be the kind of thing that, you know, not to overreact, but could help, you know, give them some legitimacy saying, Oh, we were able to beat, you know, Oklahoma state when they ranked 15, something they haven't done in years. So I think, you know, it's a good thing for TCU and for Oklahoma state. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't have an explanation for what happened in that game. I just think it was uh, one of those days for them. Yeah. I mean, I think Spencer Sanders is, has been really inconsistent this year at the quarterback position. And you look at a guy like Darius Davis on TCU who hasn't, really made many big plays this year. All of a sudden, just erupts in this game. I believe TCU had two receivers over 100 yards. So they really got the ball rolling. We know TCU is not going anywhere this year, but now uh, Oklahoma State is not. I believe it's going to be Oklahoma and Iowa State in the Big 12 title game. So this really um, you know, hurt their stock for that game, a potential rematch with uh, the Sooners. But – we move on to Texas A&M against Auburn and, you know, Texas A&M on the road now with this Ohio, this breaking Ohio state news really helps Texas A&M, but does it really? Because they are not going to compete in the SEC championship game. Florida is because of the way the SEC has it set up the SEC West and the SEC East. So it'll be Bama against Florida. So Texas A&M really, uh, is just going to have to blow their opponents out and hope the co- hope the committee values them and that Florida gets smacked in the SEC championship game. I think that's what you have to hope for at this point. Yeah, I mean, for Texas A&M, um, you know, they lose to one Alabama early in the year. They beat Florida. That's a big win. Um, so obviously, yes, if Florida loses, um, they'd have a great shot of getting in or a better shot of getting in. So for them, I just feel like they've done what they can do and all they have to do is make sure they win. And that's, that's it. They're, that's the spot they're in because like you said, that's the way the SEC is set up. That's the way the college football playoff is set up. Um, and it might not be enough, but for them, I mean, they've had a really good season. So um, to just keep winning games is really all they can, all they can do at this point. 
Also, I just want to correct something I may have mis, uh, misspoken on before. Kyle Russo will be joining the show in just a few minutes, not the last half hour of the, of the show. Got a, got got a little confused there. We just switched to Tuesdays, so it's kind of been a funky schedule up in the air lately. But Jordan, you're 100 percent right. Um, it's going to be it's going to be an uphill battle for that number four spot for any team, realistically. I mean, Florida has the task of beating Alabama. If they lose, mm-hmm. they now have two losses, both against Alabama, yes, but I think that still keeps them out. You can't – I mean, you can't value a two-loss Florida team over a team like Cincinnati, who that American Conference has gotten better, and they're going to be playing Tulsa this weekend. You know, I look at Kellen Mond and um, Isaiah Spiller, and yes, you know, the Aggies played a great game, but Auburn has kind of gone downhill a little bit these last couple of years. So an Auburn win five years ago was a lot more valuable than an Auburn win is now. So I don't know how much this really increases Texas A&M stock guys. I I don't, who are they playing this week? I think they're playing, I want to say Ole Miss. They're playing Ole Miss. Yeah. Or Texas A&M, they're playing Tennessee. You're right. It's not, it's not going to be, it's not. It's nothing that's going to move the needle. They could win fifty to nothing, and it's not going to move the needle. So for them, yeah, they're really kind of at the mercy of what other teams do. Yeah, they again. You don't control your own destiny. That's right. The Ole Miss game was uh, postponed for this weekend, so no. I, I believe their only game left is Tennessee. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be very interesting. But you know, we look at these rankings right now in the college football playoff. And, you know, the first thing that pops to mind is you have two teams from the ACC and one team from the SEC. Cause again, Notre Dame is not your traditional ACC football team. The only reason why that they're in the ACC this year is because of the pandemic and they're probably not going to be back next year. So it would be really sweet if Brian Kelly, it's like a one and done type of thing. Um, against Clemson, you know, a lot of people say, oh, how, how could they not come back next year, especially if they win it? It gets real complicated with the contracts they have with NBC and whatnot. So, yeah. uh, you know, they'd be losing a lot of money. But um, it's really interesting to see that Georgia, two-loss team in there, eight, followed by Iowa State and uh, Miami. And Miami, De'Ara King at quarterback, their only loss is to Clemson. Uh, Jordan, do you think – I mean, again, it's a long shot at this point. I think they needed Clemson to lose last weekend, but does Miami have any chance of, again, you don't know how this COVID situation is going to play out. Does a team like them or Iowa State have any chance of creeping up? Yeah, I think they're pretty much stuck where they're at. Um, at this point, you know, you might have teams beating each other up. You know, even if if somehow Florida beats Bama, well, that doesn't change things because Bama would likely still get in the playoff and Florida would have a chance maybe if Ohio State – you know, ends up deciding to go against Ohio State, but just the way these are set up, I just don't see like any possibility of them sliding up at all. That's a real good point. Again, there's just too many good teams in front of them. Uh, Kevin asks, "What team will Notre Dame be playing first when they make the playoffs? Is it based on conference?" No, uh, Kevin. So um, the college football playoff, it's going to be based on how Notre Dame. Obviously, they're playing Clemson in the ACC title game. On December 19th, that will be a lot of fun to watch. Um, I, I recommend that you watch that game as well. That will pretty much determine 
where Notre Dame will sit and who they will play against. Here's the problem. We don't know who the four seed is. And I think a loss against a loss against Clemson in the ACC title game won't move Notre Dame further down than a three. Would you agree with that, Jordan, or do you think there's a chance they could slip the four? at this Yeah, point? we've seen a precedent with that with SEC teams. Um, if you beat each other up in the SEC championship game, you're usually if you were already aligned before, you're still going to be in. We're going to see that same precedent with Clemson, Notre Dame. I, I think whether Clemson loses, whether Notre Dame loses, they're both in. It's it's a lock at this point, um, barring an upset loss prior. But um, yeah, I, I don't see a way for that to drop. So I'm I'm pretty set that you know you're going to have Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson in, and it really comes down to are they going to let Ohio State in without playing enough games, without even playing a Big Ten game? Yeah. That's what it comes down to. And if not, that's when you get the 2020 stories, the Cinderella teams, Texas A&M, Florida, Cincinnati, long stretch Georgia. That's when the conversation opens up. But if they say we don't care how many games you played, then it's pretty much a wrap at this point. I agree 100%. I think a win over Clemson in the ACC title game with Trevor Lawrence – I don't know if Notre Dame can move up to one because if Bama doesn't lose, they're already a one. You can't downgrade them, especially if they went out. So I think what's crazy, Jordan and James, is that Notre Dame may go toe-to-toe with Clemson three times this year. Although a two-loss Clemson would probably fall to four uh, or or maybe not. It really depends on who gets in. So this three-four line could get real funky really fast. Uh, I think Bama's locked at one right now, and that's about it. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you. I think Notre Dame has their most favorable matchup against the four teams currently in this. Kevin is probably Ohio State. Uh, I think Clemson. Look, don't get me wrong. Notre Dame is going to compete against whoever they're going to play. I mean, I think Bama will probably beat them by a couple of possessions, but Clemson they could be even with Trevor Lawrence. And again, it's not just me and the bias coming out, guys. I just think the way their defense has played this year, you look at the guys that they have, Hamilton, yeah. I mean, Bo Bauer, that kind of hurts, but their defensive lineman up front. Uh, Jordan, I, I kind of want to ask you, what impresses you about this Notre Dame team that hasn't stuck out in years past? We're kind of like they're, they'll, they'll get in, but they'll be an afterthought in that playoff once they take the field. Yeah, so – I know outside of Notre Dame fans and a lot of people have kind of given Brian Kelly a lot of flack for recent years, which I don't understand why, like to make a team like Notre Dame where it's, it's an academic school. Like you're not going to get all the best players because of the high academic grades. If you're constantly winning nine, 10 games, you're a really solid program. If you look at the geography and the demographic of Notre Dame. And so I think this year with everything happening with COVID, it's proven that he's really good at understanding his team and making sure they're willing, you know, they're under control and able to play. Um, and I think this year, more so than others, the biggest thing that stands out, it's not even on the field. It's, I think the players have all bought into whatever mentality he's been preaching. They've all bought into that really well. And I think that's what separates this Notre Dame team from previous Notre Dame teams. I don't know if, if it's necessarily the talent. I think a lot of it is the team looks very bought in on what Brian Kelly is preaching right now. And you can't, that's, that's tough to beat when you have talent mixed with that buy-in that's when you're a really good team. George, you bring up an excellent point. Brian Kelly is starting to finally win big games against big teams. And I think that's the next step he has to take to quiet his critics just a little bit, but thanks for the comment, Kevin and the question appreciate it. But uh, we'll just talk about this quickly again, Ohio state and Michigan, their game is canceled. 
due to the spike of COVID cases on Michigan's end. This is the first time they will not play since 1917, over 100 years ago, um, and that was due to World War I. Um, the Buckeyes are ineligible for the Big Ten title game. Head coach Ryan Day says the Big Ten should revisit this eligibility rule. Um, do you think, guys, that anything will change? Because I don't. No. I but the Big say. Ten has been tailoring to them. I will say that. They, they're trying desperately for them to get six games in because they want them in. They know they're the only team in the Big Ten this year that has a shot to get in and that has a shot to represent them in the college football playoff. That's the only argument against it. But, I mean, I'll be honest with you. This game isn't their fault. But, I mean, you've had so many months to come up with a plan, guys, about what you're going to do, what type of protocols you're going to take as a university to make sure these players are safe. And, I mean, look at the ACC. Clemson, Notre, Miami, look at all the games that they've played. I, I think at this point, Ohio State kind of has to eat that bullet a little bit. And uh, yeah. if, if it's kind of up to – it's out of their control. Yeah, for Ohio State, it, it it really is the Big Ten's fault. And I'm seeing it up close and personal with the Pac-12 down here. It's, it's just a mess. It's, it's a giant mess. And the Big Ten has done slightly better than the Pac-12, obviously. Um, but not much. And so for Ohio State and the Big Ten, now they're in a tricky situation where it is a lose-lose, and it comes down to what do you value? If you find a way to get Ohio State in, you're showing you value the money that comes with the college football playoffs, the viewership, the notoriety, all of that. And that's fine. That's part of the job managing the conference. And if you don't, you're showing you value what you've already set up. You want your other teams to get that sort of spotlight, and you're doing so knowing that no one else is getting in that college football playoff. So that's really what it comes down to to them. And so when you look at the business perspective, it makes sense to put Ohio State in. And if you look at football perspective, it doesn't. So yeah. that's where the issues lie. And that's where it's going to be one thing, too. It could be interesting before we wrap this up if they don't play in the Big Ten championship because the Big Ten says no. And then the college football playoff says we don't care. They're still the fourth best team they're in. Right. That's where this billion-dollar company – the NCAA, especially with football, doesn't have a central leadership. That's the biggest issue we've seen. That's why they've been exposed this year. And yes, the ACC has done great getting a lot of games in. The SEC, very minimal issues. That's fine. But college football as a whole has really struggled with the situation. And it's because if you have a billion-dollar company, you have to have a central leader. And they don't have that in college football. And that's the biggest issue. Right. That's a little tangent there, but yeah, I, I just think they're kind of it's a lose lose for Ohio State there at this point after Big Ten. And James, it's a lose lose for your West Virginia Mountaineers as well. Oh yeah, um, that you know it's unfortunate, but you better luck next season. That's all I gotta say. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I kind of want to just quickly. We won't spend too much time on this, but preview the games that are coming up this weekend. And one that sticks out to me is number seventeen UNC traveling to number ten Miami. Uh, the Hurricanes, they are 8-1. and one. Again, their only loss is to Clemson. Any chance UNC shocks the world and pulls off an upset here against De'Ara King? I don't see it coming up. I, I think Miami's I think Miami's going to win this game pretty handily. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to look at the line here. Um, just get it up here quick. Uh, Miami is favored by 3.5. And this game will be played at Hard Rock Stadium. So, I mean, 
to me, that says it right there. I think it'll be a close game, but North, North Carolina kind of had us on the ropes for a little bit a couple of weeks back. So I think they'll play tough, but I, I just don't think they're going to win. I don't think they match up with Miami the way they match up uh, against us. James, do you have anything to add on that game specifically? I mean, per- personally, I mean, Miami's it, not going to slip again. No, it's it's UNC 7-3, Miami 8-1. I mean, it would be cool to see an upset, but I don't think – UNC is going to. Um, it's in Florida, so I don't see the upset happening. Yeah, I think if UNC was home, you'd be having a much different conversation because, I mean, UNC, they've been very impressive. I mean, they score 41 points per game on the season, and they do have, I believe, uh, their, their running back, Javante Williams, has 16 touchdowns, guys. That can't go unnoticed. But at the same time, like uh, – I, I, just my opinion, Miami's run defense is probably going to contain them. And they're just basically going to make them air it out and put them in third and long situations. So I don't see it coming. Uh, we look at another game here that kind of um, piques my interest a, a little bit. Uh, Wisconsin at Iowa. Now, I think Wisconsin is, again, they're, they're coming off a couple of tough losses. Um, uh, this one in particular uh, last week that they had two Indiana to a backup quarterback. Is there a chance they rebound on the road against these Iowa Hawkeyes? I mean, I think this is going to be a back and forth type of game. Uh, The line is even. So, I mean, I I kind of feel like Iowa has an edge here, guys, but uh, whenever Wisconsin, I mean, in years past, when, when they've had their backs against the wall, they just show up and they find ways to win games. So, um, you know, I think that's definitely a telling storyline here, not to mention I really do like their tight end and Jake Ferguson a lot. Yeah, I, I think Wisconsin definitely has a chance, and I, I think they're still getting their legs under them. You know, they've only played four games. Uh, it's been a very tough season for Wisconsin. Iowa's been able to play seven. Um, because of that, I would give a slight edge to Iowa. Um, I know the, the odds are even. But I do think you're playing at home. Um, you're playing well. Uh, you've just got more in-game experience. You're in better condition. I, I just think I would slightly favor them. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Wisconsin finds a way to um, win this game. James, do you think Wisconsin has a shot? I mean, look, guys, uh, Graham Mertz is a is. I mean, he's a pretty decent quarterback. I mean, I I still think he has a little way to go, but yeah. I I just don't. With the way their track record's been lately, I don't see them pulling this off on the road. I got the Hawkeyes. I've been doing some cold takes this this season for, for NFL in general, and we admitted it last night on our conference call. Um, and I'm going to go with Wisconsin. A two and two team's going to go above 500 um, like this weekend. So. <laughs> I like it a lot. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think they have a great team. For me, it's just they haven't played that many games. So I think that's been this whole COVID-19 impact has had a huge effect on them negatively. Cincinnati at Tulsa, this is where things could get interesting. Um, You know, I would love to go out on a wrench and tell you guys that Tulsa is going to win this game. But (laughs) the Bearcats are very impressive. Um, out of these four games we have previewed here, I think this is the first game that I can realistically feel confident that the road team 
is going to come out and win. Um, you know, Cincinnati, the American Conference is getting a lot better. So is the Sun Belt. Eventually, it's going to come to a point where within the next five to eight years, I think we're, we're going to have an 18 playoff. It's going to take a few years. Yeah. Uh, I think the guy's name is Bill Bill Hancock. I mean, he he's not lifting a finger here. It's going to be four teams for the very significant future. But, um, you know, I really like Cincinnati and what they're doing. They're they're the UCF of 2020, uh, you know, and ever since Brian Kelly. <laughs> I was just left, thinking that. Exactly. Um, <laughs> ever since Brian Kelly left their program, they've had trouble uh, keeping up their touch, and now they've been able to do it. Um, I really like the Bearcats here in this one. Yeah, I, they're playing great football. Um they're definitely UCF 2020 version. Uh, no shot at the college football playoff at this point. There would be way too many things that would need to ha- go right for that to happen. But a uh, really good story. And I, I don't see Tulsa being able to compete with them. I know Tulsa 6-1, and one, but I, I think Cincinnati edges at least by a touchdown. This shouldn't really be too close of a game. By the way, I love Desmond Ritter. Again, dual threat type of player. 11 touchdowns on the ground. 16 through the air. So you account for 27 touchdowns in eight games, eight, nine games. I mean, that's pretty impressive to me. Um, James, anything to add? Are you going Bearcats as well? Yeah, I'll go Bearcats as well. All right. Um. So uh, the last game, LSU and Florida. Guys, don't – I mean, don't (laughs) get me wrong. I I mean, I really like the Tigers, but, I mean – they're not the same team they were last year. Half their roster from last year is now in the NFL. So the Gators are probably going to drain the swamp and pull away. Um, I really like what I've seen from Florida. Uh, I think they're going to carry this momentum into the SEC championship game and potentially keep it tight against Alabama. So, uh, Jordan, I mean, I, I hate to assume things, but I assume you have Florida winning this game, but – um, do you think LSU has a fighting chance and kind of, kind of, I, I know they're a younger team now and like how a game like this could potentially, um, transition momentum into next season. Yeah, this is, this is going to be a game that can help define Edo's run a little bit. Last year caught in the moment they win a national championship. Edo's a great coach. That That's the narrative. And then now we kind of get back to a baseline of what, Ogeron is and I, I think he's a great personality he's a great leader I don't know what he does when the talent's not there and it's not to say they don't have talent this they're a premier SEC school that's always going to bring in talent but coming off of last year we see a dramatic decrease and great coaches like the Nick Sabans of the world like uh, Urban's of the world Urban Myers they don't lose that much right after so I think this game can really help define if they can keep it close or potentially pull off the upset, it would really set them up for next year. But I, I just don't see that happening. I, I don't like the way they're playing at all right now. All three facets of the game have been really rough to watch for LSU. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a real good point. I think Terrence Marshall's a, a young, great talent that they have on this roster. Uh, you know, he's kind of like their new version of Justin Jefferson. So, yeah. You know, I think he could develop, but I mean, I think the Gators are just, um, you know, they're they're playing real well, James. Um, any any final thoughts you'd like to add before we bring on Kyle? 
uh, Gators is just going to blow out LSU by a lot. Yeah, I don't think the game's going to be close. I I agree with Jordan that it would set them up LSU for next season, but I don't think Florida has it. I don't think LSU has it in them. No, I agree. And right now the spread is twenty three and a half. So them <laughs> them covering could could look that could be the, the the discussion. I don't I don't think the game is the discussion. I, I think if you want to talk about spreads, I mean I think LSU could potentially cover. So we will see, my friends. We will see. So at this time. Let's transition into the NFL segment and bring on our uh, third co-host, Kyle Russo. Kyle, uh, welcome back. What's up, everybody? <laughs> um, so I know you just got home, so we're going to get right into things um, with the <laughs> NFL segment. And we're going to talk about these Pittsburgh Steelers and uh, Jordan Fun Fact, a couple of our guys, uh, James and our other friend Gabe, who does the quick picks with us, both picked Pittsburgh as their lock for the week. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they lost to the Washington football team. And now Pittsburgh, all of a sudden, they hold the lead for home field advantage via a tiebreaker. And remember, we do have the ex- expanded playoffs this year, guys, yeah. with seven teams in each conference. So only one team will get a first-round buy. That'll be the same team that has home field advantage throughout. So, I mean, I guess my first question, this goes out to anybody, does Pittsburgh hold on to this number one seed? I mean, I know they don't play Kansas City, but I'm looking at it. They got Buffalo. They got Cleveland still. There's still some games. There's some room for error for these Steelers to lose again. No, they don't. I – not to toot my own horn, but I've been on this track for about a month and a half. The Steelers – Really good team, not a great team. The Chiefs, they're a great team. They have one loss to the Raiders. The Raiders played nearly perfect in that game. The Chiefs will blow the Steelers off the floor. And we've seen it over the past month. The Steelers have struggled to put teams away. They can't run the football. And while they have a great pass rush, it doesn't matter if you're playing too many tight games. So I think they have a chance to hold on, but Buffalo's going to give them a run for their money. I think Cleveland, the second time around now, has a chance to compete with Pittsburgh. I know they blew them off the field last time. But they've got a couple of tough games, and one or two more losses definitely puts them out because the Chiefs have room for maybe one more loss, but they look like a team that will probably run the, run the table the rest of the way. So there's not much room for error for the Steelers, but just the way they've played recently, I don't I don't see how they hold on to the one seed. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. I don't think that they're going to hold on to the one seed either. Um, you know, I, I think I've been saying – I've said it for the past couple of weeks. I think the Steelers are a fake team. You know, you look at a lot of these – a lot of these wins that they have um, are just against some really poor teams. They beat the Jack, they beat Jacksonville, who was one and eight at the time, a couple weeks back. Uh, they beat the Ravens practice squad barely. Uh, they just lost to a team with no name. They beat the Bengals. Uh, the, the the refs beat the Titans in that game. Then Stephen Goskowski handed them the win by missing the game winning field goal at the end. They've lost. They've won a lot of games because they've had. Very, very favorable matchups towards the latter part of the season now where you have games like Cleveland, who Baker Mayfield looked highly impressive against Tennessee, even though you know they couldn't continue that momentum in the second half offensively. Um, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say Buffalo. Buffalo played really, really well last night against Arizona, but the team to look out for for me specifically would be that matchup against Indianapolis. Because Indianapolis, Phillip Rivers just has the ability to either turn it on or he comes out flat and know the defense is going to bring it every single game as they rank number one, I believe against the pass and number one against the run. 
So the Steelers are already a team that doesn't have a good run game. And Ben Roethlisberger, if he's pressured, he will hand over the ball. And we've seen him fumble the ball this year, too, a decent amount of times as well. I think that would be the matchup to look out for. Uh, but like I am sa- like I said, I think the Steelers have been – I don't want to say they're a fake team because it's hard to go 11-0, win 11 straight games. But they've had very, very favorable favorable matchups uh, the first 11, uh, now 12 weeks in the season. And if I may, too, the very similar to the 2019 Patriots last year. 8-0 start. Under 500 the rest of the way. I'm not saying the Steelers are going to go under 500 their last few games, but the the start last year for the Patriots was very inflated. They had the number one defense, but they played against nobodies and the backups nobodies and the, the nobodies to the backups. And this same thing happened to the Steelers. They had an easy schedule coming in. The AFC North had one of the easiest schedules this year based on uh, their matchups and everything. And I feel like they're just a team that was playing above where they're supposed to be. And now they're coming back down to where they're supposed to be, which is a playoff team. Good enough to win the division, but a team that could be a first-round exit with some of those wild cards out there. I'm going to one-up you guys. I mean, I, I think they're prone for a first-round exit. Uh, I, th- I think they fall to the two-seed. Kyle, you mentioned the Colts. Well, they're sitting there at the seven-seed right now. If they draw a two-seven against the Colts, I think they lose right now. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I think not having Bud Dupree really mm-hmm. hurts their stock. James yep. Conner's been banged up. Look, don't get me wrong. They couldn't really establish a run game last night. I think part of that is due to not having James Conner. And I know their offensive line has been better, but we got to remember something. Big Ben has miles on. Uh, he also has a lot of injuries on him as well. So I really like Ben Roethlisberger. And, you know, I still think he could be, you know, the quarterback for this team for the next couple of years. But as far as we talk about scheduling coming up, the meat of their schedule is now. We're really going to find out what type of team they are right now. As we're with Kansas City, we already know what type of team they are. Yeah, They've already clinched a playoff berth, um, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if they've clinched the West yet. They might have via tiebreaker. I don't know what the division records are, but I do know that the second-place Raiders are 7-5. and five. So the Chiefs are going to win the West. Yeah. And their floor is the two-seed. Yep. I mean, in a perfect world – the Chiefs and the Bills will play in the AFC Championship game. I think they're the two best teams in the AFC right now. That's just my opinion. Uh, I mean, I think Tennessee's defense is just not good enough this year. I mean, I love what I see from Patrick Mahomes. And I don't know if, Jordan, I don't know if you were the one to tweet this you, you or uh, post on Instagram or something. Um, Patrick Mahomes is the MVP this year. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't second guess it. Yeah. I think I, you might've been the one that said that. Yeah, no, I, I did. Uh, Russell Wilson was the hot take for a while, but you look at the numbers. I mean, he's going to get close to a 48, 47 touchdown, less than what, maybe six interceptions. I, I forget what number he's at now. I know he threw a couple the other week, but outside of that, he hasn't thrown many. Uh Close to 5,000 yards. It's it, You're overthinking it if you think it's anyone else. Now, Rodgers has thrown his name in the hat recently, but I think Mahomes has a better body of work. Um, but even though he's only, what, 25, he already has a little bit of that LeBron James syndrome where if there's a better storyline, the storyline's going to win MVP. But Mahomes <laughs> is still the best player, and it's, it's there's no second-guessing that. And so I just don't think there's a better storyline, so there's no reason not to give it to Mahomes. Yeah. I think that Russell Wilson kind of played himself out of the MVP. Um, yeah. He started off the season very, very hot. And then, because I think within the first like four or five games, he had 16 passing touchdowns. And then he started turning the ball over a lot. 
Uh, I believe he has around 10 interceptions now, started fumbling a lot. So he played himself out. But Patrick Mahomes has probably been the most consistent player in football from week one on. So that would be my MVP at this moment in time as well. I agree. I'll be honest with you guys. I think Dalvin Cook may have passed Russell Wilson in the MVP standings. I mean, yeah. I think you can make that argument at this point. He has been electric for the Vikings. Uh, the Vikings are now 6-6, six and six, and I know we'll get to them in just a couple of moments, but I think Dalvin Cook is a big part of that reason why. Um, but back to the Bills, we got to talk about Buffalo. They're the three seed at 9-3. and three. They are currently ahead of the Dolphins in the AFC East by one game. Uh, and Jordan, I know you follow this division very closely as a Patriots fan. Josh Allen looked phenomenal last night. And I mean, I know Allen's been inconsistent at times this year. He had like a two to three week spell where he really wasn't doing too much. But now all of a sudden, I think he's entered his name back into the MVP discussion where you can argue he may even get a couple of votes. Uh, he, you know, he could potentially finish in the top five for the MVP standings. I mean, yeah. He didn't even have John Brown. His number two wide receiver last night was Cole Beasley, and he torched San Francisco's defense. Yeah, it was it was ugly for San Fran. But Josh Allen's a guy I completely missed on before the draft. I, I didn't think he was going to be this good. Um, but when you look at things and you, you simplify it a little bit, really good front office. They make the right moves. At the Trading for Stephon Diggs was hands down the right move. A lot of fr- franchises wouldn't make that deal. They make it because they know we're a team that needs to get more dynamic on offense. We have a quarterback who can be dynamic enough. Let's get him a playmaker. Boom, John Brown, a much better two than he is a one. He was, he was a good one last year, but he's better as a two. So you have a great front office. McDermott's a really good head coach. The culture he's built there is phenomenal. We've seen it grow the last three years. This year it's really come to fruition. So I'm not surprised with Buffalo. I I, I think this is, this is a, a, a team that – I don't know how long this lasts, but with the way the system is set up for them right now within the organization, they have a chance to be the cream of the crop in the AFC East. I don't think the Patriots are going away just yet, um, but right now there's no reason to ever think the Patriots could catch them. The Dolphins are right there. They're well coached. This division has gone from a dysfunctional division to now a division where three teams, I'm not even going to talk about the Jets, three teams have functional front offices and functional coaches. The Jets are, they're in a league of their own at this point with how dysfunctional they are. But um, no, the Bills and Josh Allen have been amazing this year and it's fun to watch. Yeah. um, And I, I I do think that their defense kind of flies under the radar are, I mean, they were a little, I think overhyped going into the season. They did have a lot of injuries. Matt Milano was out for a while. Tredavious white missed a couple games, I believe. Uh, you have veterans back there and Jordan Poyer and Mika Hyde. You know, those are guys you could lean on. Um, I know Ed Oliver is a guy in the trenches who knows how to stop the run. Uh, Trent, Trent Murphy as well. And I believe they still have Jerry Hughes too. Uh, you know, those guys have been there, done that. So I think when you look at this team, the problem is can they win a playoff game with Josh Allen? They're suspect similar to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, where as far as – I mean, we'll get to them in just a moment, folks, but – the, the Bills and the Josh Allen and Sean McDermott led Buffalo Bills have not won a playoff game. McDermott's 0 2 in the playoffs as a head coach, and you are going to be criticized. You could, if they draw the Dolphins in round one right now, is what it would be a 3 6. I think they win. I mean, I, I think they advance. But if you end up drawing a team like Cleveland, 
uh, or Indianapolis. I think Indianapolis, they could potentially lose to. I think the Bills are a team in the playoffs that is either won and done again, or they could potentially go as far as the AFC championship game. And Kyle, congratulations on nailing your upset in the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I don't know how that was an upset, but yeah. (laughs) I don't know how that was. was. In Arizona, I don't know how San Francisco's favorite. They had to come move to Arizona and yeah. Nick Mullins had a good game actually. I mean, you know, like they got steamrolled in the first half and he kind of turned it on the second by that point, yeah. I was already too late. Buffalo is going to be an interesting team just because if you look at the remainder of their schedule, it's so tight. Like even though that we were just talking about Pittsburgh probably being one of the non-real contenders, rather a pretender, that's still going to be a tough game. Denver should be easy. If you remember when they played New England earlier in the season, they lost because Cam Newton fumbled the ball on like the 10-yard line with 20 seconds left. Otherwise, they were probably going to win that football game. And then against Miami – Miami took it all the way down to the wire in week two with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Miami's a totally different team now. Mm-hmm. Not that Buffalo isn't, but they have a lot of games in which it could be a toss-up and could potentially even with a team like the Ravens, you know, it, it's not going to affect their, obviously, their playoff chances. I think they'll come out of the uh, the AFC East, but this could potentially affect them in terms of their record. That's a good point, too. You know, that's that's something to think about because they still have a matchup coming up, right? So we will see. We will see. And then we look at the four seed guys. Um, the Fonz's Tennessee Titans. Um, Always in the mix. Yeah, they, they've they had a lot of trouble this year. Uh, they've been a Jekyll and Hyde type of team. Now they own the tiebreaker over the Colts. But, uh, Jordan, who do you see coming out on this division uh, right now in the AFC South? Because they this the winner of this division is probably getting the, the four seed. Yeah, it's interesting because I've at different times of the season fallen in love with both teams. I think both rosters are great. Coaching staff's great. Quarterback plays good enough. Um, but they've both been so inconsistent. They're the teams outside of Atlanta that I would never bet on if I were betting because they you just don't know what you're going to get week to week with them. But if I had to pick right now, I, I think Tennessee's the better team. Um, they have a certain way to win, and we saw Cleveland expose them. If you can get ahead of Tennessee early, and stop them from using Derrick Henry so much, you have a chance to beat them. Same thing goes to Indianapolis. If you make Phillip Rivers drop back and throw it 45, 50 times, the Colts aren't going to win that game. Phillip Rivers can't do that at this point in his career, even with a really good offensive line. So I think both teams have a lot of issues, but I I think Tennessee overall is the better teams. I think they're going to come away in the division. James, I want to get to you here. What is your stance on this? Because – the the Colts they you know they upset a team like the Green Bay Packers and then yep. you know they come back and they edge out Houston which obviously you're more than likely than not going to play every team in your division tough it's usually a close game but where do you see this headed? This is going to be an interesting stretch for these two teams only because we saw what Derrick Henry did when he played the Colts what was it two weeks now. He just steamrolled over that defense, which that defense has been probably number one for most of the season. For him to just steamroll over them without a problem, putting up 160-whatever yards and, say, three touchdowns in the first half, to then come out the following week this week, I mean, I'm not expecting him to put 167 yards within the first half, but – 
for the Titans to lose the week after, I really thought the Titans would have been like, all right, we steamrolled over the Colts. We got to keep this up. But I think the Colts are going to find ways to win. Their defense is just phenomenal. Um, Defenses win games, guys. We've seen it before. We're seeing it again now. I think the Titans will fall. Um, I know that I'm probably in the, you know, not the most, you know, the most group saying that, but I don't think the Titans. Titans are somebody that they're good, but they rely too much on Derrick Henry to get them the the wins. And that's going to be a And early on, Tannehill was playing at an MVP level, and now he's not. Yeah. And that's the biggest difference on this team. If he was still playing at that level, like he did for a 17-game stretch, it's a totally different team. Oh, yeah, I, I would totally agree with the Titans, but he's not playing at that level, and they're just running Derrick Henry too much. Yeah. It's hard, too, guys, because this team made the AFC Championship game last year. A lot of people seem to forget that, but remember, their defense was a lot better. They had players like Logan Ryan who were there, yep. uh, you yep. know, doing a lot of good things for them as well. Uh, and looking at it now, I mean, it's really tough. Uh to see who's going to advance in this AFC playoffs. And we look at a team like the Cleveland Browns and Kyle, uh, the Cleveland Browns are nine and three. They took the winning record for the first time in 13 years, 2007. Um, and they're on the verge of making the playoffs. I mean, more than likely, I believe Scott Van, it might've been Scott Van Pelt. I forget who it was said that the Browns have a 97% chance to make the playoffs. And Baker Mayfield has been playing out of his mind these last couple of weeks. I mean, in fact, he plays better without Odell. Uh, the way he finds his receivers, Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins, whoever it may be, you know, these players are helping him out. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, the running game up front, not to mention Wyatt Teller and Jack Conklin, J.C. Treader. This is probably a top two to three offensive line in football. Kyle, uh, what has gotten the Browns to where they are now? And do you think – they win a playoff game, or do you think they're more fraudulent when it comes to advancing in the playoffs? Um, before this past Sunday's matchup, I would have said that they were fraudulent. Because if you look at their past four or five games, they, they've played nobodies. They, they came down to the wire in week seven against Cincinnati, right? They, mm-hmm. they lost at home to Vegas, who you know has been an up-and-down team this year. They were only able to put 10 points on Houston's defense, who's one of the worst defenses in the league. Barely beat Philadelphia. Barely beat Jacksonville. Jacksonville almost got its second win a week and a half ago. But the way he came out against Tennessee, I believe he had four touchdowns in the first half, which was like the most by a Browns quarterback uh, in, what, 50, 60 years or ever potentially. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It was very, very impressive. And with the remainder of their schedule, you know, what is Baltimore at this point in time? I don't think anybody really has an answer to that. You may see what they're capable of tonight against Dallas, but – I really don't that I don't think that's going to be a good example of what Baltimore's capable of just because of how bad Dallas is. They play the Giants. What are the Giants exactly? We know they're a great defensive team, but can they put up points on the offensive side of the board? They play the Jets. Then they play Pittsburgh. That could be the determining factor. That could really be a determining factor because we roll down that Pittsburgh schedule and they have some potential losses. That week 17 game might determine who comes out as the division winner potentially. It's crazy because a lot of people are counting the Ravens out, but they could, they're they also a team that has uh, the capability of running the table and sneaking in as a wild-card team. 
Uh, now, I know this year they've played a, a lot of teams that they should have beat that they haven't, but, you know, a lot of the, and even Giants fans, I'll admit it, I watch these YouTube guys like the entertainer, Chris Guzzo, every week just talking about how the Baltimore game keeps becoming more and more a winnable game. And now that's what it's been. And you look at the tail end of the AFC playoffs right now, Baltimore's not in it. It's the Dolphins and the Colts. The Dolphins are only a game out of first place, and the Colts, you know, they're tied with record-wise in the AFC South. Uh, Jordan, how impressed are you by Miami this year and the job that Brian Flores has done? I think he deserves at least a few coaches of the, of the year votes. Yeah, if they sneak away with the division, I think it's his award to lose. I, I think the way they've played, you've transitioned to two different quarterbacks. Uh, they both played pretty well. The, Fitzpatrick probably played a little better than Tua, but the defense is the really the strong point of this team. The defense, the offensive line's been really solid. Uh, so that's been the focal points of this team. But he's probably going to win coach of the year. He's the one of the first Belichick disciples to really turn it on. We've had a couple lately that have been really bad. And I think he's he's come with the culture without the uh, – What's the word I'm looking for without the uh, the cockiness that a Matt Patricia brings where he thinks, yes, I was part of this championship culture. Come with me and I will bring it to you. Flores actually built that instead of relying on being a part of that before. And so we're seeing it play out in Miami. So I, I like what I see. I'm not too impressed by Tua in all honesty, um, but he's a quarterback good enough in this system to win games. And sometimes it's all you need. Are they a team that can win a playoff game? I don't know. But they're a really fun story, and I like the way that they're they're building for the future right now. Because this was supposed to be a rebuild year still, and now they're a playoff team more than likely. So that's pretty impressive. They're a year ahead of schedule, and they're still going to get great draft picks because Houston is terrible and all of that madness. <laughs> so they're still going to get potentially a top 10 draft pick, and they made the playoffs this year. That's impressive for a team that was hoping to get a top 10 pick of their own, but now they'll get one from somebody else. So it works out. Yeah. I mean, pretty much GM O'Brien is the reason why Miami is going to be in the playoffs uh, <laughs> for years to come if this trend keeps up. Um, yeah. Any, I mean, I know we already talked about the Colts, but any of these teams on the cusp now on the bubble, we have the Las Vegas Raiders who oh, sorry, uh, got into a little clicking match there, but it's okay. <laughs> uh, the Raiders ver- barely survived the Jets. We just spoke about the Ravens. And then, Jordan, we have your New England Patriots. Which one of these three teams on the cusp? Uh, and this goes out to all of us here, but I'll start with you, Jordan. Uh, which one of these three teams has the best chance of getting in? For me, it's the Raiders. Um, not only because they're the eight seed, but I-, I feel like they have the potential to either go 0-4 or 4-0 in the next few games. Like That's just the way this Raiders team has played all year long. Um they haven't been as dynamic as of late. This is a trend now we've seen with John Gruden the last two years. His team is sort of faltering towards the end. Um, but I've liked what I've seen from Derek Carr a lot this year. Um, the running game's been a little bit inconsistent. You know, Josh Jacobs has been in and out of the lineup here and there. Um, defense isn't that great, but they're still a team that can go toe-to-toe offensively with most teams in the AFC. Um, so I give them a shot. I, I-, I think Baltimore is just kind of – toast right now i think there's a chance at a revival but i don't see it and new england um this has been a great coaching job from bill belichick and they're honestly two plays away from being an eight and four team they're the a stop on the goal line against seattle and then a fumble against buffalo um and that's pretty impressive with below average quarterback play um through the air at least 
So they're impressive, but they just don't have enough tools offensively to even compete for a spot at this point. So I, I would say the Raiders. Kyle, who do you got? I really think it's going to be Baltimore when I when you look at the schedule. Baltimore just has a lot of, you know, gift type of games on their upcoming schedule. They play Dallas in five minutes. That should be easy. Cleveland <laughs> will be a little tougher. Then they play Jacksonville. That should be another easy one. The Giants, that'll be a little tougher. But, again, that's a toss-up kind of game. You know, what Lamar Jackson are you going to get? And then they end off the season on Cincinnati. Like Jordan just said, Las Vegas has to play Indianapolis this week, which is a great team. They have to play the Chargers, who the Chargers are going to look to bounce back after losing 45 nothing. They have to play against Miami, who's, again, also fighting to win the AFC East. And even Denver. As much as we like to knock Denver, Denver just almost closed it out against Kansas City the other night. You know, uh, if they got some things rolling with uh, Drew Locke late in the game, you know, if it wasn't Patrick Mahomes on the other side of the ball, pretty much any other quarterback, that could have gone in Denver's favor. But I think that Baltimore – has that real opportunity. I like what, like Jordan said, New England should be this team right now, as I alluded to earlier, losing that game with Cam Newton fumbling. Um, that really cost them a lot. On top of the fact, even in that Kansas City game where they had to run out with Jared Stidham and Brian Hoyer, and yet even a, the slightest bit of offensive production would have won that game, but they just mm-hmm. couldn't get it out of those two guys. Um, so I think that Baltimore winds up edging it out uh, for that eight. For that step, my bad. Yeah, both really good takes, James. I want to hear from you, and then I'll, I'll give mine, and then we'll move on to the NFC. So I'll be quick. Um, considering what we saw out of the Raiders on Sunday against the Jets, that I thought the Raiders should have walked all over, um, they didn't, and that's kind of concerning. Because realistically, if the Jets didn't decide at the end of the game to have three running plays and pass the ball, and then – like that that was the turning that was that was the nail in the coffin for the Jets. Just let let's just run plays and then have a uh their wide receiver rugs completely wide open. No help for, over the top. <laughs> so yeah. realistically, those two plays alone should have gotten the Jets the first their first win and Vegas another loss. I don't yeah. see Vegas going just because of what they did against the Jets. Not saying that that they should have blown out the Jets, but they should have never kept that game as close as they did. Um, Lamar Jackson and Evening, uh, not uh, Lamar Jackson and his dynamic duo and running back Mark Ingram, they're a toss-up. I honestly think tonight's game will be a lot closer than what everybody's probably projecting it to be, only because they're both back from the COVID list. Do they have the fatigue like people had? You know, what do they got? What's going on? I don't see them. I really think the Patriots going. I think Bill Belichick is going to work his magic hoodie and uh, short sleeves and a mask now and just destroy every team in their way and make the playoffs. I think I think New England gets in. Uh, Baltimore doesn't, and the Raiders just collapse. Love that take. And, so, and real quick too, this this yeah. could get interesting if uh, the NFL does decide on uh, an 18 playoff with the 18th week, which is possible. I don't think it's going to happen, but that's when it can get really interesting. Yeah. yeah. And not that real quick also, not that this would have played a big factor, but Des Bryant just quit on the Ravens. He, uh, Are you serious? Positive for COVID, and he said, I'm done for the season. Uh, wow. wow. So, not that he was a big factor at all, but that could <laughs> be a factor. 
Oh, man. So, <laughs> I'm counting the Ravens out. I, I am. I don't like what I see. I think it comes down to the Raiders and the Patriots. I think, uh, to be honest with you, the seven teams that are in it for the AFC right now, there's a good chance they're all going to stick. But if there's one team out of here that comes out of it, you like to think that it will be the Raiders because they have the Broncos and the Chargers again, which both of those games should be wins. And then – uh, New England, on the other hand, they have three divisional games left against the Dolphins, Bills, and the Jets. I think if New England somehow finds a way to upset the Rams on Thursday night football, which there is talk that everyone I've talked to so far that is picking the Rams to win this game does not feel confident in it. And Jordan, I think it kind of dates back to what you said about Bill Belichick and the job that he has done. So I'm actually going to agree with James and say the New England Patriots out of these three teams have the best shot. I think the Raiders are probably the most talented right now, but the Patriots are the best coached. Plain and simple. And again, they're winning games that they shouldn't. So I, I'm going to double up with James and take New England. Um, but that, that was an interesting little segment. Uh, the NFC will kind of breeze through this one. Uh, the Saints are the one seed, 10 and 2, after starting 1 and 2, guys. I mean, they, they lost two out of their first three, including. A Monday night football tilt with the Raiders. And now they've won nine straight, longest win streak in the league, thanks to Pittsburgh's loss last night. Uh, first team to clinch a playoff berth. So congratulations to the Saints. They're doing it without Drew Brees. Taysom Hill's their starting quarterback right now. And um, if you're using him as a tight end in your fantasy team, continue to work that system. Uh, you're doing a fantastic <laughs> job. Uh, I'll tell you. And then they've been without Michael Thomas for a lot of these games. So I'm really impressed with the Saints. And then the Packers come in as the two at nine and three. Big lead in the NFC North. You know, I'm still confident that these are the two best teams in the NFC right now, despite all the hot talk about the NFC West and uh, Tampa Bay. But which one of these two teams do we think gets the one seed? Because right now I'm really leaning Saints, but they did play Atlanta very tight on Sunday. I think that I think it's going to wind up being the Packers because as much as, and I know Jordan, you brought it up earlier for coach of the year, Brian Flores, a lot of people don't give, give Sean Payton enough credit, especially for what he went through this season. He had Michael Thomas for practically none of the games. I think he's only played three or four games this season. They still got Kamara. Obviously that's huge. Drew Brees has like 11 or 12 fractured ribs. He's lost him and, and put Taysom Hill who never had a start in his career, and this guy is putting up massive numbers and winning games for the New Orleans Saints. And where it comes into the question why I favor Green Bay is because if you look at their schedule, the only real quality win that they've had, well, two wins that they've had, were both against Tampa. Otherwise, they really don't have a solid win underneath their belt. You look at everybody that they've beaten, and none of these other teams are making the playoffs, with the exception of Tampa. That's it. That's the only team that they've beaten so far that are going to potentially make the playoffs and maybe potentially Andy's Chicago Bears. But that's it. That's the only <laughs> team that they've beaten. They play Philadelphia, who has Jalen Hurts in now quarterback, so that, that should be a win, even though I like Jalen Hurts a lot. And then they play Kansas City. And that's the real determining factor because Green Bay can go on a run with the remainder of their schedule, and they could potentially close out the rest of the season, go on a 4-0 run based on who they play in Detroit, Carolina, what is Tennessee, and then they always beat Chicago. That's the remainder of their schedule. Yep. 
I think that it could come down to the wire again come week 17, potentially. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure what the, the tiebreakers are, but you can pretty much chalk up to the Saints. Um, the Eagles, that's probably a win. The Chiefs, I'll, I'll chalk that up as a loss. The Vikings, that's probably a win, although the Vikings could be hungrier at that time, so that could be interesting. And then the Panthers, so they have that lead. They both finish with the same record. I'm not 100% sure who owns the tiebreaker. I think it's the Saints, I but I'm not 100% sure conference on that one. So I, I could potentially see both teams finishing 13-3 and three this year. Um, so that would be really interesting. But I'll give it to the Saints. Um, I saw the comment um, that popped up on the screen, I believe, is you, Henry. And, you know, they're 8-0 without Drew Brees the last oh, two seasons. There we go. Yeah, and against the spread. That's also impressive. It's one thing to go 8-0, but 8-0 against the spread without Brees is impressive too. So – I like the way the Saints are playing. I think they still lack some things. They don't really have a deep game in the passing game, but it hasn't really mattered. They've gotten creative to get the ball downfield, especially with Taysom Hill. And I'll be honest, I thought that was going to flunk. I said Jameis Winston should be the starter unless you really want to test out Hill for a game. And now Sean Payton has pretty much proven everybody wrong, proven himself right, showing that he's a genius. And so I like what, what they got going right now. I think the Saints are playing really well. Yeah, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say the, these are the top two teams in the NFC. There's no team that is going to unseat them. Uh, Green Bay is getting the one seed. Uh, they're going 4-0 in their last four. The Saints are probably going 3-1. and And, again, this is nothing against the Saints. It's only because they have to play Kansas City. And I think that's going to be their one loss. As you said, Jordan, not to mention the Saints are home, though, in the Superdome for that game. Uh, which is more winnable than playing an arrowhead uh, with the fans in Kansas City. There, you know, they do, they are having fans in, in their stadium. So, uh, I think it's going to be the Packers as the one seed. But don't get me wrong, the Saints have the best defense in the NFC right now. Over the last five weeks, they have been absolutely phenomenal. Just these, uh, even a, even on Sunday, they're going up against the Falcons' offense that had Julio Jones back, Todd Gurley was back, and they just shut them down. I mean, maybe not shut them down, but at least they contained them to an extent. I believe Hayden Hurst had one catch in this game. So right there just goes to show you, who, regardless of who the one seed is, it doesn't matter. These two teams are more than likely meeting up in the NFC Championship game, barring, um, you know, I mean, I, again, I don't even want to talk about Seattle. <laughs> but actually, let's get to that NFC West. So the NFC West, the three seed right now is the LA Rams. They're eight and four. They've played Seattle once. They beat them, so they hold the head-to-head thanks to that since each team is 8-4. and four. The Rams beat the Cardinals on Sunday, and this was an impressive win. A lot of people have doubted Jared Goff, including um, our good friend Henry in the comments section. Uh, now, I do think Kyler Murray has been playing banged up. There's been talks about him with an AC joint injury. They are a Hail Mary away, Hail Murray, I should say, from being <laughs> under 500 thinking about this. So yeah. this division changes week by week, guys, on, on the fly. The winner of this division is getting the three seed because you know the NFC East will not be getting the three seed. <laughs> uh, who wins the division and gets the home game in the wild card round? Yeah. Um, back when Arizona beat Seattle five weeks ago now, I was really leaning Arizona, and I was high on them before the season. Um, like you said, outside of that Hail Mary play and beating Seattle in overtime, they could potentially have gone 0-6 in their last six games. Instead, they're 2-4 and 4 in their last six games. 
Um, and now they're out of the playoffs. So I, I don't know if they have enough. Now, they never play well against the Rams, but they have the 49ers number. For whatever reason, the way that division works, each team like owns another team and gets owned by the other. Like The Rams can't beat the 49ers for whatever reason. It's just a bad matchup for them. And the Seahawks, they really struggle against the Rams. So it's really weird how that division shapes up. And the Cardinals, um, they own the 49ers, like I said that earlier. But I, I think right now the Rams – are probably the best team in that division. Uh, no one talks about their defense. And the last few years, it's been kind of subpar since the Super Bowl run. And now they've kind of meshed the talent together with a system in place that's actually working. They're letting Jalen Ramsey do his thing outside. He's locking down receivers left and right. And Jared Goff is doing a good enough job when he has enough time. So if they face a team with a good pass rush, the Rams aren't going to win. So that's really the difference. But I, I think – with their schedule and the teams they played, I don't see too many great pass rushes. So I think the Rams are going to end up winning this division. I agree a hundred percent. I think the Rams hold on to the three seed and James, let's get to our giants now at the four seed. They are five and seven. They've won their last four straight uh, phenomenal win on Sunday at the Seahawks. Everyone and their mother picked Seattle in this game. Let's be real. We all pick Seattle. There's only one person I knew that thought the Giants were going to win this game, and he's not in this live stream right now. His name is Gabe Flayton. He's a huge Minnesota Vikings fan. Uh, he was the only person that I know that picked the Giants to upset and win this game, <laughs> and he cashed in. I was actually with uh, Hank watching this game, and you know, Colt McCoy, Joe Judge, Leonard Williams, Patrick Graham, who – you know, I, I, I hope – yeah. Thank you for that, yeah. Andy. The Giants just found a way to upset Seattle, and, you know, it really shines light to the way we've been playing the last few weeks because not only did we beat them, we held their offense to 12 points. This is the yes. first time we've won four in a row since 2016, and, James, I think this is the first time in four years we could actually say we are happy – Giants fans like not like you know oh we won against a bad team the last significant win that we had was against the Bears team in 2018 that went 12 and 4 but we went up against Chase Daniel we didn't even go up against their starter so just first of all how do you feel right now (laughs) so I feel pretty happy pretty pumped um because we actually won against an actual team that has a winning record above 500 um so it's great to see it's also great to see that we kind of shocked the world in a sense i know um the football team that doesn't have a name kind of took our thunder a little bit we'll touch upon that a little later um but the fact that we get we made pete carroll and russell wilson on the sidelines look confused like they were like they were lost they had no clue what was going on um was huge does the fans matter in that stadium? Yes, because with probably with the fans, I don't know if we would have won, but we didn't have fans, so it doesn't make much of a difference. Um, I It was great, honestly, to see Bradbury, yes, I'm wearing his numbers, um, to kind of shut down DJ Metcalf in a sense. Um, it was nice to see he wasn't running all over people for once or uh, throughout a game, so it was nice to see him. But it's just Joe Judge and that whole – 
team of coaches just brings the Giants together. It's a different mentality that we haven't seen probably since Tom Coughlin, Tom. Um, it's been a long time. And I was reading an article today. I don't know if you guys read it, um, that Joe Judge implemented one, after their last West Coast game oh, quite some time ago that they no longer leave Sundays right after the game like other teams do. They stay overnight in whatever city and they fly back Monday. That way there's no jet lag. There's no wear and tear on the bodies. They stay. They have a meeting Monday. They eat. They fly back. So they get, you know, fully rested. So that's actually pretty interesting. It's great to see them finally win. Um, They're going to, to be honest, I'm calling it now, they're going to shock a lot of people in the next coming weeks. I agree. I want to get to Kyle and Jordan, both of your comments, and then we'll move on because we'll talk about the Giants again later on in the show uh, after the jo- this Jordan segment. Um, but, Kyle, first, I, I want to get to you. Um, you know, this was a team that hadn't had that signature win, and Joe Judge, I think, has finally taught these kids how to win. I mean, that's what they are, kids. They're one of the youngest teams in the league. And I can vouch for the fact that Leonard Williams and Jabril Peppers were just outstanding, and they, they were two huge cornerstone pieces to this upset win out West. No, absolutely. Uh, you know, if the, if the Giants were able to put some more wins underneath their belt earlier in the season, I'd be advocating for Joe Judge to be the coach of the year, but just based on the win-loss record, I don't know if it's possible at this point in time. Uh, Patrick Graham, uh, I hate to say it, he's going to be a head coach one day, and it's going to be sooner rather than later. He might have another year with our staff, but what he's been able to do with this defensive squad – has been absolutely incredible because the Giants, what they did this offseason, it looks like they they pieced together some key freedoms. They got James Bradbury, but you were still missing a secondary corner. You brought in Kyla Fackel. You brought in Blake Martinez, but your linebacker and core still stunk. You didn't know what Leonard Williams was going to potentially be in Patrick Graham's defense. And this guy has done absolutely everything with probably some of the most minimal amount of assets and has turned it into a top three, like I said last week, a Super Bowl defense. I think that that's not an understatement anymore. This is a Super Bowl defense. You shut down, James, you said it, DK Metcalf. Yes, he had 80 yards. But you were also able to stop Tyler Lockett, which nobody talks about either. Yes. He's probably the most underrated receiver in all of football. He only had 60 yards. Yeah. You shut down Russell Wilson, who's a top three quarterback in the NFL. Yes, you weren't able to put numbers on this defense as they are a poor defense. But, again, you didn't have Daniel Jones. And mainly your main offensive weapon, considering that you didn't really have a quarterback that was going to be capable of throwing the ball 30 times in the game, all you had was Wayne Gallman. And Wayne Gallman, he showed up. You know, Wayne Gallman's been a question with this team. Is he going to stick? And that's going to be a legitimate question come this offseason now that Saquon Barkley is hurt. He's taken that position, and he's earned it with the time in which he's had. He just had his first ever career 100-yard rushing game. This is – a Tom, you said it early. This is probably their first win. I wouldn't say the Chicago game. It's probably about two, three years now since they've had a quality win over a legitimate squad. This was huge. This win is huge. This is now a game where you could see going into the next couple weeks, man, they could really beat Cleveland. They could really compete against Baltimore. They can beat Arizona, and then they play Dallas, who at the end of the season I don't think should be a problem. But before this game, those were all questionable games. I don't really think that's a question anymore after seeing how they performed this week. I agree. Jordan, um, what is your perspective from an outsider looking in? Because this game, this win became a lot more important after Washington won last night. Yeah, I've been on the Giants train for about a month. I started really diving into it and seeing just how messy the NFC East is. And 
I like the effort this team puts in. I think Joe Judge, another one like Brian Flores, a Belichick disciple that looks like he's going to pan out. I know there were question marks before with the hire, but they made the right choice, it looks like. And, yeah, they've won four straight games. Um, really, they just need to win two of the last four. I think Washington's in the same boat because I think seven and nine gets you the division title. Um, potentially eight and eight because Washington's playing good too. So they might need to win three or four. Um, but the Cardinals, like I said, they could be 0 and six the last six games. So that's a very winnable game for the Giants. Uh, Cleveland, you never know what you're going to get with Cleveland. If they run the ball, it's going to be a massacre. And if they don't, you can potentially blow out Cleveland. Uh, Baltimore again on the road, maybe a tough game, but we'll see. And then Dallas, uh, that should be a gimme too. So I really like the way this team is playing. And, and I, I don't, think it's out of the question for them to win at least two out of these last four games or three out of the last four games and go on a run. But um, I, I, I think the question marks of Daniel Jones have gone away. If you look at an outsider perspective, I know prior there was a lot of talk of getting a different quarterback already. I, I think he's the guy. I think you can win games with Daniel Jones in New York. When you have a good defense, you get Saquon Barkley back next year. Uh, you keep building that offensive line. Maybe another wide receiver would be really helpful. Someone a little bit more explosive and then you're looking at a really good team around Daniel Jones, and he could be the guy for them for the next few years. I think what people are really shocked by, too, is the fact that they beat them with Colt McCoy, the fact they didn't yeah. even have Daniel Jones. And, Jordan, you bring up a lot of good points. Uh, I do think uh, – so would you say you think you'd, you'll see the Giants come January still in the mix? Yeah. Um, at first, when Alex Smith came in for Washington, I figured they'd be the team. Um, but I, I think the Giants are playing a little bit better. So I think they come out with this division. Alex Smith's a great story out there in Washington, and it's someone that you want to root for. I don't know, maybe your perspectives, but like that story in itself is great. But yeah. And with Ron Rivera overcoming cancer and all that, like that's a great story for that team, and it wouldn't surprise me if that gets them in. But I just think the Giants are playing better right now. So I think we'll see them in January, and I'll go out on a limb. Depending on the matchup, they, they could win a game. It's not out of the out of the ballpark for them to win a game in the playoffs this year. So I've got a fun fact for you. The last two seven-win teams to make the playoffs have both won a game. That includes Ron Rivera's Carolina Panthers in 2014. They were 7-8-1. And, Jordan, I do agree. I think the sentimental pick to win the NFC East this year would be uh, the Washington uh, football team. Uh, so I, I think, realistically, it's going to come down to Week 17, regardless of who wins it. Yeah. But yeah. Finally, let's look at these wild card teams here quick. We have Seattle and Tampa Bay. I do think both of them will stick where they are at five yeah. and six. I do think they will be two of the three wild card teams. The Seahawks are first at the five at eight and four. The Bucks are the sixth seed at seven and five, three games behind the Saints. So, I mean, there's still a chance, but it's looking highly unlikely. Um and then the Minnesota Vikings have the tiebreaker advantage over the Cardinals if they only beat Dallas, a team that they were supposed to beat. Um, they would probably be more comfortably in at the sixth seed right now. But, uh, Jordan, what's your thoughts on Tom Brady and the Bucks not doing as well as advertised? Yeah, um, it, it's to be expected. I, I think uh, this is a team where the highs have been overblown and the lows have been overblown as well. Uh, it's a uh, – it's, you know, it's a new situation for Brady. Uh, I think him and Bruce Arians aren't the best fit. I think it can work eventually, but we're seeing them push the ball downfield too much. And I'm not going to say Brady doesn't have the arm strength, 
but he doesn't have that timing and connection because he hasn't done that in New England since 2007 in the Randy Moss era. He just hasn't been a downfield quarterback since 2007. And so it's been completely different. But um, the reason why I'm down on them right now is I was banking on their defense for the longest time. That's why they were my Super Bowl pick before the season. That defense, I, I figured it was going to finish as a top five defense. And while they've had their moments – Last month, they, they've been exposed in a couple games, and they're kind of a, a hit-or-miss defense as far as if they force the turnovers, they're going to really get after you and, and cause some trouble. But if they can't come up with turnovers, it's pretty easy to put up points against them. And so it's hard to really gauge where they're at. Um, I think these next four games are critical. If they can run the table with these four games and prove that they can mesh the offense to Tom Brady's needs and his fit, uh, they're a team that could still make it to the Super Bowl and come out of the NFC. The Packers are a great matchup for them. They they can bully the Packers. The Packers don't do well against teams that can bully you. And the Buccaneers do have that bully mentality with the front seven. So they have some matchups against some of the better teams in the NFC. The Saints have have their number, though. So that's a team, if they play the Saints, I don't know how that works out. It just, again, like the NFC West, the Saints just have the Buccaneers number right now. So I, they're a team that's either a first-round exit or a Super Bowl team. The, that that's really the epitome of them right now. I think when it comes to the Bucks, they're going to win out. You look at their remaining schedule. They have to play Atlanta twice, two out of the last three yeah. weeks. And then they have Detroit, and then they have Minnesota this weekend. I think their most losable game is probably Minnesota. Uh, and, I, I mean, you could argue they, they could split the Falcons. But, I mean – the, the Vikings right now, they're going to be playing their, their guts out. I don't think they have a team that matches up great against Tampa Bay. I think their defense is going to be able to take Dalvin Cook out of it, force Kirk Cousins to throw it on them. But I, I do think you're right. If there's a team that could upset a team or two in the playoffs, it is Tampa Bay. They can make some noise, potentially find their way into the NFC Championship game. Uh, Kyle, what is your thought on the Vikings? Do you think they hold on to the seven seed or do one of the several teams on the bubble sneak in? The Vikings have been one of the most up and down teams in the NFL. Like they have a quality win and then they lose to Dallas. They do something good and they barely beat Jacksonville. They barely beat Carolina. They're barely beating Chicago. They're barely beating Detroit. They beat Green Bay. That was probably their best win on the season. They lost to Tennessee by a point, so you keep them in the mix. The Vikings are so confusing on what they are. They went into the season with a defensive-minded coach in Mike Zimmer, and even though they lost a lot of pieces, nobody really – maybe with the exception of Gabe, because Gabe knows the Vikings better than any of us or a lot of people. But I didn't expect the Vikings' defense to be as bad as they were in the beginning of the season. I mean, we remember that game against Atlanta – where Atlanta's defense was looking like a Super Bowl defense because Kirk Cousins kept on handing them the ball, three interceptions in the first half uh, to the Atlanta Falcons. (laughs) It's all dependent upon what Kirk Cousins is able to do with the football. It's not even Dalvin Cook because you know what you're going to get with Dalvin Cook. It's dependent upon how he's going to distribute the ball to Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson for 60 straight minutes. Mm -hmm. If he can do that consistently at a high and efficient level, I think the Vikings will keep that pace. But when you got a Cardinals team – and the Cardinals, I know that Kyler Murray is is hurt, but even even saw in the game the other night against the Rams, he, he he was trying to come back as much as possible. The defense really gave him no help to really make that push and overcome the Rams. Yeah, this guy is a very very competitive guy. He's very good, and if he can't do it with his arm, he's going to try to do it with his legs as well. So I think that would be the team if I'm looking at it. 
that would be a team that could potentially overcome the Vikings. Just because, uh, I mean, if you ask a lot of people, how many people really trust the Vikings at this point in time? I mean, I, I know I don't. I don't know if anybody else does, but I really don't trust them as a team. I'm going to say this. The Vikings are probably going to split their final four. They're going to go two and two. Um, I, I, I do think the Cardinals the Cardinals will also split. I have them losing to the Rams, and I have them losing to us this weekend. I have them beating Philadelphia and San Francisco. I think San Francisco splits their final four. They'll finish seven and nine. Detroit is the only other team really that – you need to worry about because I don't think the bears are going to be relevant. I think I'm sorry, Andy, if you're watching, but I think the bears are going to continue to lose. And I think the Vikings hold on via the tiebreaker. As long as we beat Arizona this weekend, if Arizona beats us this weekend, they'll be the seven, but if they lose Minnesota should be the seven. Um, And again, Kyle, that's not me trusting the Vikings. That's just me looking at like the rest of the team schedules that are in this place. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, as crazy as this might sound, I think the Washington football team has a better chance than San Francisco, Detroit, and Chicago. I think you're looking at Arizona and the Washington football team as the two biggest threats to the Vikings yeah. for that seven seed. And you could even throw the Giants in there if they don't hold on to the, the, the division at this point, which I didn't yeah. think you'd be saying three, <laughs> three or four weeks ago. Uh, Jordan, I know we're going to be letting you go shortly. Any final comments or thoughts you would like to add to this segment? Thanks a lot for coming on tonight. Definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, of course. This has been awesome. Um, Yeah, last thing, the Cardinals. uh, Kyler Murray is a gamer, uh, but this team has outperformed uh, its expectations. I picked them to be a 10-win team. It looks like I'm going to be wrong unless they win out before the season, but they have a lot of issues on the offensive line. Uh, they win when Kyler runs more, and they're trying to draw that back a little bit, maybe a little bit of RG3 cautiousness here with Kyler, but he's a lot better at getting down and getting out of trouble. So uh, the Cardinals are very interesting. I, I, I would pick them over the Vikings at this point, but that Giants game is going to be the determining factor because the Giants are outplaying the Cardinals in every facet of the game right now, and so that's going to determine – whether or not they can get in because yeah, Philly, San Fran, those are wins. The Rams, that's a loss. They just don't match up well. So it's going to be interesting, but I'm excited to see how it shapes up. Um, I feel like in both AFC and NFC, we, we pretty much know the playoff teams. There's still some routes for the other teams to sneak in, but I feel like we pretty much know the 14 teams that are going to be in at this point, which is, which is fun to know because now we can start really diving into which team matches up well against another team and see where the upsets are. So it's a lot of fun. It'll definitely be interesting to break it down as we get closer into these coming weeks. But Jordan, again, on behalf of James and Kyle, we just want to thank you a lot for joining us tonight. This was fun. I know uh, we kind of ramble a lot at times, but that's always some good stuff, always uh, good content with you. So, uh, yeah, man, just uh, best of luck to your Patriots down the stretch and uh, your Arizona State Sun Devils. And uh, we hope to have you back on in the future. So looking forward to it. Definitely have a good one. Enjoy watching your Giants. uh in the playoff chase. It's exciting. <laughs> Thanks, Jordan. Have a good awesome. night. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Oh, sorry, oh. Kyle. That was uh, <laughs> Jordan Spurgeon from Arizona. Uh, well, currently in Arizona right now, a student at Arizona State University. Go check him out at Sunblaze Radio, Kyle, with your good friend from Comac High School, Evan Masters. They work together in the same studio. Fun fact. 
small world that we live in. Yeah. Uh, so at this time, we're going to get to our head coach hot seat segment. So if you stuck with us for this long, we really appreciate it. And you're going to enjoy this segment. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go over, we're going to go over a list of the head coaches that are probably on the hot seat heading into the off season. There are seven coaches we have in mind. We are going to debate whether or not they should be fired or not in the off season. So just going to remove this here and I'm going to share my screen Get this up. We're going to scroll down and we will bring the Excel up. So the first name is Vic Fangio, second year head coach from the Denver Broncos. And he went seven and nine last year in his first season. And he has the Broncos at four and eight in a year, quite frankly, where I, I think they have more wins than a lot of people thought, especially after Drew Locke. Uh, went down. What do you guys think of Vic Fangio? Personally, I think he's safe. Yeah, I think he's safe too. Um, not just only, you know, losing Drew Locke, but everybody forgets Von Miller hasn't played a game for the Broncos this season. He's one of the best uh, defensive players of this generation, probably one of the best defensive players of the last decade. He hasn't played a single game for him. And Vic Fangio being a defensive guy, as we saw when he was a coordinator with the Bears, that's where he flourished in terms of the uh, the coaching strategy of the game. And the offense will come with time. I think the real question with Denver is just it's a matter of them just drafting well. If they're able to draft well, Denver is a team that I don't want to say competing for the AFC West because they got the Kansas City Chiefs in there. But that's a team that can consistently be putting up eight and eight type seasons. Um, you know, lost a game because they had to play a game without a quarterback. I don't know why that wasn't delayed. Um Missing Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon at some times, missing receivers at some times. Noah Fant, their starting tight end, was gone for a while. Drew Locke missed like six games. I think he stays. There's no reason to fire him because he hasn't done a bad job with what he's had. James, do you agree? Do you do you think Vic Fangio is safe? He's safe. He's just dealt with some bad cards this season, yeah. to, to put it lightly. Uh you, you can't judge for not having any of your quarterbacks in for a game, you know? All right. So the next guy is in green. Adam Gase went seven and nine last year after the Jets got off to an atrocious start, probably won a lot of games that they shouldn't have. And now he is 0 and 12 as um, I think this is the most for sure firing of the off season. I think he's gone. I think he's safe. I don't know how he's not gone now. You I think, think he's safe? I think, I think he's, he's safe. And I'll, I'll explain this. I had the opportunity to talk with um. Uh, Mark Cananzaro of the New York Post. He's a sports writer for the uh, – uh, just a sports writer for the New York Post. So he covers the Giants and he covers the Jets a little bit. And I was – and I asked him a question. I said, the Jets are 0-12, and granted, they didn't lose the game because of Adam Gase and his playing calling against the Raiders. It was more because of Greg Williams. But knowing what you have in Adam Gase, what would be the reason for keeping him around but getting rid of Greg Williams? And my personal opinion is because they want to keep him on. And from what Mark Cananzaro told me is that Christopher Johnson loves Adam Gase. He loves Adam Gase. On top of the fact that Joe Douglas has also been a strong advocate for Adam Gase. And I think that, you know, it kind of it reminds me of the Giants situation a little bit. We all were calling for Dave Gettleman's head just last year. And now everybody's sitting back in the chair because he finally put together the team that he wanted. 
Adam Gase, I don't think he's necessarily had the team that he wanted. He inherited a team that uh, McCagnan built, which was awful, full of bad contracts and terrible draft picks. Joe Douglas, this was his first year of draft picks, and Denzel Mims has panned out, and Makai Becton is probably the best left tackle, best tackle of this draft so far this year. So he's had a decent draft. Now he has like 10 picks next year, and Adam Gase will be able to coach necessarily maybe his team. If they're 0-12 right now, and he's not fired and you fired the defensive coordinator, what would the reason other than keeping him around for next season be to keep him on board right now? What Bruce, you, just, you just said it because they love him. It, it's like, it's like you're telling They love him. You're probably not going to fire him for next season. But that, I that, that, what you're saying. Like, I agree. Like, I, I feel, I'm starting to see it. Like, if they wanted to fire him at this point, they probably would have done it. Um, however, I still think he's getting fired. I think you you can't go winless and retain your job, especially in, in your second year after. I mean, that's a seven-win differential from year one to year two. And I, I understand they traded a lot of guys. They don't have a lot of the guys that they had last year, like C.J. Mosley, Jamal Adams, Avery Williamson, just to name a few. Um but I think if they had a better coach in there, they they would not be 0-12 right now. I mean, I, I do think you could personally make that argument. I think if there's no better options out there than Adam Gase, you keep him. But I think the Jets have to at least consider the idea. But, Kyle, that's a great point you bring up. I want to – it'll be interesting to monitor these last four weeks. I want to move on to Anthony Lynn. Uh, I think this man's a goner. He, he's gone up the hill to down really quick. This guy won a playoff game with the team in 2018 and went 5-11 and last year and now 3-9. and I, I think the Chargers need to bring in somebody uh, new that could work with Justin Herbert or that could deal with the team in a higher regard. Remember, this man was promoted from running backs coach to a head coach. So, um, you know, my dad's a big fan of his because he used to play for the Jets. But uh, at the end of the day, I think Anthony Lynn's had four years and the team's going in the wrong direction. I think it's time for him to go, guys. What do you think? I love Anthony Lynn. I'm a huge fan of what he's been able to accomplish. And I thought that last season, a majority of the losses came from the fact of the poor play uh, by Phillip Rivers. And now we're seeing how he's performing under Frank Reich in that offense. Um, so with Anthony Lynn now, and, and again, you look at this Chargers team, even though they've had a lot of ups and downs with their team, you know, shifting quarterbacks from Tyrod Taylor to Justin Herbert, who wasn't supposed to come in right away. If you look at their losses, guys, the Chargers have about five losses, six losses that they've lost within a margin of like three points. You know, we're not talking about Anthony Lynn getting fired right now with those five. We're talking about Anthony Lynn potentially being the coach of the year with a rookie quarterback in there and what they've been able to do. But they just – this team cannot close out games and then losing 45 to nothing. I mean, like Tom said, I think that's the nail in the coffin. That's that's it. You, you You can't lose a game like that. I was yeah. still on the fence about this until last week. After forty-five, nothing. I'm like, there's yeah. no, there's no exactly. way, they could keep exactly. him. there's no way they could keep him. I would agree with both of you. Yeah, uh, James, I want to start with you with Doug Marone here. Doug Marone was one and one as an interim in 2016. Made the playoffs, made the AFC Championship game in 2017. Then the the team has taken a similar route as the Jets, going into full rebuild mode. And I think Doug Marone, his his time is near done. Uh, they don't know what their quarterback situation is like. 
and he's just not giving Jacksonville the results that they need. Good guy. I mean, I, I like him. I think he deserves a job in this league, but not necessarily as a head coach. I think he had a chance in Buffalo. He had a chance in Jacksonville. Uh, I think it's time for him to go. For him to be one and one as the interim in 2016, then makes the playoffs, um, and then just kind of just starts going downhill rather quickly. Um, it's just not working. It, it Jacksonville right now is almost as dysfunctional as the Jets are, in my opinion. Yeah, you can't figure right. out who your quarterback is. You you trade all these key defensive players. You, I, I don't understand what's going on in Florida. One of my good friends, Nick, that you both met, he he lives in Jacksonville. I mean, he doesn't really follow football, but the fact that like they're just going downhill fast, he's gone. They need to do a whole rebuilding. They need. Honestly, they need to draft a quarterback. They need to figure everything out down there. Kyle, does he stay or does he go? I think he stays. I think he stays. And I'll tell you why. He's If you look at all these seasons, he's never had a quarterback, guys. He's had Blake Bortles and Gardner Menchie to work with. That's number one. Then the Leonard Fournette experiment ultimately failed, not because of him, but because Leonard Fournette was injured. And he kind of became an impossible player to work with. As you saw, he, they released him because they couldn't even get draft value for him come the beginning of the season. And then what do they do? 1-11. They're 1-11 because before the season, they traded Yannick Ngakwe, Calais Campbell, uh, Jalen Ramsey last year, Ronnie Harrison. Every single thing that made them good at 10-6, and six, guys, they traded away. You mean 6-10? and 10? No, no, ten and six. Ten and six, because they kind of shipped everyone oh, out. They started. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, you're looking all the way in 2017. Okay, I'm sorry. Miles Jackson. In a matter of one, two year turnaround, and it's all because they they put their assets into Blake Bortles. Realistically, guys, they keep that defense from 2017, and all they had to do was move on from Blake Bortles, as we saw how poorly he performed in the AFC Championship game. Yeah. Jacksonville would be a team still competing right now, in my personal opinion, but they had to blow it up because everything on the offense had failed. I think he stayed. I don't think he's a bad coach. I think he has nothing to work with. He's not a bad coach. I mean, don't get me wrong. I just think it's the NFL. If you don't produce wins, especially in year four, you're you're gone, regardless of the team. Again, I don't think it's necessarily a Doug Marone issue, but I think it's more of a team issue. And if he does get another another head coaching opportunity, I don't think it should be for another year or so. I don't think he's one of like the hot top top candidates if he does get fired, but we will see what happens. You're right. He definitely does not have a lot to work with. Matt Nagy, I think he stays. I'm going to say that straight up. Uh, yes, the Bears have gone downhill in the wind department. As you can see, there's a chance they finish under 500 now. Uh, you know, making the playoffs his first year, I think that the Bears have a lot of problems on offense. And again, there's another situation where Matt Nagy necessarily didn't inherit the best quarterback situation with Mitch Trubisky in there. Uh, I think Matt Nagy is safe for at least another year. Kyle, what do you think? I think he's safe, but I really do believe that he deserves to be fired because the Bears are just the Bears have such a stout defense that, and Matt Nagy coming under a guy in Andy Reid should be a better coach especially on the offensive side of the game. Yeah. You look at this roster for the Bears. Their offense is not bad. 
they they don't have Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller. That's not two bad receivers. They have decent amount of tight ends. I know Cole Komet's coming up. I know that they have Jimmy Graham. He's not bad. David Montgomery has escalated his game, elevated his game tremendously. Tariq Cohen did tear his ACL, who's their Swiss Army knife. Mm-hmm. And again, Mitchell Trubisky isn't the best, yes, but he's workable. And at the end of the day, you're the guy who made the call to bench Mitchell Trubisky for Nick Foles. And Nick Foles didn't win you a single game or won you one game, I believe. That falls on you, especially wasting, you know, the, the talents in which this defense has. Because, again, at the end of the day, we'll wind up seeing the Chicago Bears have at least five, six players on the defensive side of the ball go to the Pro Bowl. And he's wasting them season in and season out. I just don't know if I, I don't, especially him, because Matt Nagy is an offensive guy, right? He's not a defensive guy. Correct, yes. He, he has not been able to put together anything on the right. Out of the ball, but you know, still, I mean, I the, the Bears haven't had a whole lot of draft picks the last few years either. I mean, when was the first time they've had a legit first round pick since oh, yeah. I think like two years ago or a year ago? Yeah, I mean, they, they haven't. James, do you think Nagy is safe or does he go? I think they give him to part of next season, and if he doesn't produce, say, by week six, he's gone. Yeah, no, I I agree. All right, so the last two, let's breeze through this quickly because we have a little bit more to get through. Doug Peterson, fifth year. Uh, I think he's safe, but, you know, look at three straight playoff appearances. It's hard to say to a guy after one bad year, you know, you're gone. I do understand that he's made a lot of coaching errors this year. Loves to go for two a little bit too often. Uh, James, we'll start with you here. Do you think Peterson is safe or is he a goner? You know, Part of me says he's safe. Part of me says he's goner because the Super Bowl champ came in from a backup. Uh, they're starting Hurts, I believe. They just announced today. Yep. So uh, he's safe for it. Like I said, with the same thing of Nagy, if he doesn't produce by mid next season, he's gone. Okay, Kyle, what do you think? And brief. I think he's safe. I think if there's anybody to blame in the Philadelphia Philadelphia Eagles organization, it's Howie Roseman for the way he's drafted. I don't believe it's Doug Peterson's coaching. I think it's just the assets they have on the field. 100%. So we all think he's safe. Um, yeah. Briefly here, guys, Zach Taylor from Cincinnati. Uh, James, we'll start with you. I actually want to go last for this one. <laughs> he's safe. His quarterback got injured. You can't really do much about that. I mean, there's been some, some games where they should have won. They should have probably won against us, whatever. But he's safe for now. They give him a third year. They see he sees what happens with a healthy young quarterback. All right, Kyle, what do you think about Zach Taylor? I think he's safe in his first year. Andy Dalton was hurt, AJ Green was hurt, and now this year, AJ Green, Joe Burrow hurt. They don't have an offensive line. They need to build a team before I could say that it's really his fault for them losing. I, I agree. We're going to go three for three here again. He's safe because of the amount of veterans he's inherited on this team. It's an old team that just refuses to rebuild. I mean, look how long they had Marv Lewis and knowing how the Bengals are, they don't fire head coaches even when they deserve to be fired. We saw that for the last 10 years with Marv Lewis. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's going to be interesting. And then, of course, three head coaches have been fired midseason already. Bill O'Brien from the Houston Texans, Dan Quinn from the Atlanta Falcons, and Matt Patricia of the Detroit Lions just a day after Thanksgiving. So that'll do it for the NFL head coach heated seats. And I know we talked a lot about the quick picks, 
while Jordan was on, bless you. Um, so I was the loser for week 13 via a tiebreaker. And I know we're, we're going to perform our, I'm going to perform my punishment live tonight. So uh, we'll get it out of the way right now. Um, and then we will talk about the Greg Williams situation and then preview a couple of the key week 14 games um, after that. So guys, I just want to say that I'm glad both of you are here tonight. Look, I look, I was only I was the only person to hit my lock this week, but I was also the only person to miss the upset. That panned out to hurt me big time. Folks, in the NFL, offense wins you games, but defense wins you championships. Now, why did I not pick the Giants this week, right? I'm a big Giants fan. That was a big reason why I lost. I went against my own motto and picked the Seattle Seahawks to win, along with everyone else and their mother, right? The only person we know that picked the Giants was Gabe Flayton. Teams don't win in Seattle, but we did. Why didn't I pick them? That's right, Pete Carroll. Do you hear me? I will not be doubting this team and go against my own roots I have said this to you guys week in and week out on our freaking show that defense wins championships. Now, for my guarantee, give me one second. Tom, I'll remove you. But no, wait, actually, we'll leave him. Hard to get off. All right, so he's taking off his Irish shirt. Oh, he has his Giants polo on. Puts on his Giants hat. Shout out to former New York Giants head coach Jim Fossil for inspiring me to do this tonight. James and Kyle, never forget this moment on Review and Preview. This is a poker game. I'm shoving my chips to the middle of the table. Anybody wants in, then get in. Anybody wants out, get out. This is our team. This is not the Washington football team. This is the New York football Giants. I repeat, I'm making my guarantee tonight on Tuesday, December 8th, even though I made the guarantee in the group chat four weeks ago when we were two. (laughs) This team is going to the playoffs. That is my guarantee. And I will not pick against them again for the rest of the season. I like it. He's going to the playoffs. And on that note, my week 13 punishment is adjourned. Unless you guys had any other crazy. Uh, no, that was, that was, that was, that was good. good. I just, I listen, I hope they win. I hope they win for the sake of uh, our fandom. It'd be really disappointing to see in such a decimated NFC East if they don't come out on top. But uh, very nice. Very nice. Excellent work, by the way. Legit Texas Hold'em chips. Um, but, yeah, you know, I kind of want to get back to this game because uh, I know we just have a few minutes left. But this rookie class, guys, I looked up a stat over the last week or two. The rookies are playing more. And in this game specifically against Seattle, Darnay Holmes played 78% of the snaps. Carter Coughlin played 62% of the snaps. Took away from Cam Brown, who only played 14% of the snaps. Tay Crowder. 54%. Nico Lelos, 
So these guys are playing. And this was truly the upset of the year before Washington won on Monday night, guys. This was the upset of the year because of this rookie class. Tate Crowder had a huge sack in this game. Carter Coughlin, I don't know if you guys knew this about Carter Coughlin. Heading into his senior season, he was a top 50 prospect in, in the NFL draft. We potentially got a second rounder in the seventh round because he had a dud senior year. After his junior year, he was fantastic for the Gophers. You look at his sack numbers from his sophomore year to his junior I mean, he had a bad senior year. That helped us. He fell into our lap. Tate, Tate Crowder is pretty damn irrelevant. It's pretty damn relevant to me. And, and Nico Lelos, out of nowhere, Ooh. was this the upset of the year or did the Washington football team steal our thunder? I, I think it goes to us just because we we didn't have a starting quarterback. I think it goes for us to, just for that that reason. I think again that's that's huge for Washington because again they have their storylines as well. Alex Smith coming back, no Antonio Gibson for basically the entirety of the game. You're in Pittsburgh, where also that's a team that doesn't lose at Heinz Field, and they you, def, you you finally give a first loss to an eleven and zero team. But the Giants, the way they handled themselves on defense, especially. And uh, just did just did enough on offense to really carry themselves against again an MVP caliber player, one of the most explosive offenses in the entire NFL, one of the best coaches in the entire NFL. Away again, even James, even though you say there were no fans, nobody wins in CenturyLink Field. They don't. They don't lose. Oh, yeah. That was his first home loss of the season, I think, since like week three of last year. They other they don't lose at home. They just don't. They're uh, that, that's that's a win right there. I I think that we have the upset of the year. Nobody comes out of Seattle with a win, guys. We came out of Seattle yeah. with a win. Uh, that's what really impressed me. Now I'm not going to go celebrate like we just won the big game, but it's a huge stepping stone in the right direction. And I know there's a lot of people that are just saying like, why are you guys winning games? Well, eventually you have to learn how to win as a young team, and it builds momentum into next year. You can only draft high so many years in a row you guys get you guys get the vibe mm-hmm. eventually you can't just bank on that every year you have to continue to build and if the team wins it's good for your long-term future i mean we've picked in the top 10 pretty much the the last four years i want to say barkley jones and eli okay four out of the last five we include eli apple he was a 10th overall pick or whatever yeah. I'm not going to include him, but yeah, Jones, Barkley, and Thomas. Those are three top six picks over the last three years. Something's got to give, guys. Um, but anything you guys would like to add on the Giants before we uh, talk about the Jets? It's It was great to see Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson on the sidelines, either during a commercial break or timeout when they went to them, look completely dumbfounded and confused. It was nice to see that our team can finally confuse a complete offense, a complete defense, a complete team. The only positive play I would say that Seattle did was that block punt for a safety. Other than that, that yeah, was it. Really, we only let up 10 offensive points to Seattle then at that point. It wasn't even 12. Yeah. It was 10. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a great team, man. Um, but, yeah, so – this was a crazy week. And by the way, Gabe was the week 13 winner for those of you that were wondering. 
forgot to mention that, but um, it just continues to pull rabbits out of the hat. But uh, let's talk about the Jets, and this will be the last thing we talk about before previewing some Week 14 games quickly. Uh, Darren Waller had 200 receiving yards in this game from the tight end position, and the Jets had a late meltdown that was anchored by Greg Williams, uh, which led to him being fired. Are we shocked that he's gone before Adam Gase? Uh, personally, I am only because of the dysfunctional offense that the Jets have had. I thought the defense has improved over the course of the season. I mean, you look at guys like Neville Hewitt, who have really stepped up their game. Quinnen Williams, who is, in fact, getting votes to be a pro bowler, potentially. I mean, he's in the pro bowl discussion. So what do you guys think? What was it? I mean, uh, again, if it wasn't for such an egregious, uh, egregious call, um, I think that, again, even though I don't think that Adam Gase would have been fired this season anyway, uh, I would have bet my money on the fact that what happened in Cleveland a couple of years ago would have happened again with the Jets, where Greg Williams takes over as head coach, as the interim head coach, and then see what the Jets can do under him. Um, but, yeah, based on that one call, again, that that that, that, does, that deserved the firing. You, you had everybody on your team basically calling you out and looking – yeah, looking for answers. How how is that a call that you could possibly make? Never even been done in NFL history, and you made that call. Yeah, yeah. Well, it happens, and the Jets are zero and twelve. They do not have a very favorable matchup next week, so we will see. Um, realistically, the only other bit—I mean, D- Detroit winning—you could say was a surprise. The Browns with the heavy lead against the Titans, even though the Titans almost came back. Uh, yeah. My my one question to you guys, because we are short on time, uh, what was your your favorite game of the week and why? Uh, let's see. Because there was a decent amount of good games this week. There was a lot of – there wasn't – They're surprised in good games. I really enjoyed watching the Kansas City Denver game because I love I I do this to myself all the time. Uh, I don't know if you guys do it, but uh, I catch myself at the end of the game and be like, "Why'd I do that?" You know, a team would be up on Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes, and I think, "Oh my, somebody's gonna beat them!" And then Patrick Mahomes just does Patrick Mahomes stuff, and then that. <laughs> I uh, but I find myself enjoying it more and more every single time. Just you know, an astonishing, astonishing NFL player and. Already, you know, 25 years old, people calling him a Hall of Famer is just absolutely unbelievable. But uh, that would probably be my favorite game of the week, neck and neck up until the end. Fun offensive game, defensive game as well. Um, probably the Jet game. Look at that. Never thought you'd say that, right, James? Uh, no, not this season at least. It was a fun game to watch. They were taking shots to each other. I honestly didn't think the Jets could do that. Um. It was that team, and also probably seeing some fans jump up and down, like "No, no, don't, don't win," because they want Trevor and stuff. They still get the first overall pick, so that that was uh, that was interesting to see. But probably checking. Good picks, guys. Well, outside of the Giants game, of course, uh, my favorite game of the week. <sighs> okay, it, it's the Buffalo game from last night until. Um, the 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 time expired because um, 
I, I lost the Fonz by half a point in fantasy. So that, that was my favorite game to watch and <laughs> track of. So um, that was definitely astonishing to watch, although I, I do think he still has Justin Tucker, but you guys get the point. I, I just really like watching a New York football team succeed and do well, uh, and I think Buffalo hasn't been good in so long. I mean, people are saying Josh Allen's the best quarterback they've had since Jim Kelly, and I don't think uh, – yeah, I mean uh, – yeah, he, he is. Their, their quarterback, Carousel, has been a circus for the last 20 years. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Kyle Warden, Ryan Fitzpatrick, it hasn't been uh, it hasn't been smooth down. J.P. Losman, Trent Edwards, Kyle Orton. Oh, no. EJ, remember E.J. Manuel? E.J. Manuel, Tyrod Taylor. Yeah. It's been a lot of guys for Buffalo, and this is the first time in a while I confidently say that this Buffalo team is riding to the playoffs. But yeah, James, so quickly, let's, uh, if you have the graphic, let's go over our week 14 lock and upset for you yes, myself, and Kyle. Share my screen with you, John. We have the Rams on Thursday night football. We have the Packers at the Lions. We have the Chiefs at the Miami Dolphins, which could potentially be uh, you know, a trap game for Kansas City. Uh, Minnesota at Tampa Bay should be fun. And then you have the Colts at the Raiders, which should be interesting, followed by Washington at San Francisco, which has a lot of playoff implications. Pittsburgh at Buffalo, which in my opinion is the game of the week, followed by Baltimore at Cleveland. So as you can see, our locks, I have Seattle against the Jets. Why not? Go 14 for 14 to keep the streak alive. Do you guys think I can keep the streak alive? Seattle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Seattle. They're playing Seattle again. Yeah. That, that, yeah. I think that's like 13 and a half. You should be fine. Just don't <laughs> as your lock again against uh, a hot NFC East team, uh, James and Gabe. Uh, mm-hmm. You have the two. I had the same thing. Uh, I like it. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the the, the Chiefs aren't going to lose. Uh, they're playing the Dolphins, though. So, you know, I mean, that could be interesting, but it's hard to go against the Chiefs. And then, James, you have Green Bay against Detroit on the road. Uh, yeah, see, guys, I, I tend to avoid picking divisional matchups. I don't care who it is. If you're in first going against fourth, I just avoid it for some reason. The divisional matchups are always close, and they scare me. That, that's part of my strategy when picking these locks, guys. <laughs> but um, well, let's go over to the upset. Uh, yeah, you know, my, my, my chips are in the middle of the table. <laughs> picking the Giants um, as my upset this week. They are two-and-a-half-point dogs. Kyle, I'm really surprised that you decided to pick the Washington football team. Not really. Uh, and then, James, you have the Buffalo Bills upsetting the Steelers for the game of the week, which is weird because the Bills are home. So I don't know if the line is out yet. If Pittsburgh's favored, it must be by, like, one or two, not by much. Yeah, I'm not too sure. Um, but this was the game anyway. It was even way back when my friends asked me, when do you think Pittsburgh gets the first L? I yeah. honestly thought it was the Ravens, but with everybody out, obviously that wasn't going to happen. I did think it was going to be about against this Buffalo team, um, which, well, hopefully they give them their second loss. 
Guys, I want to give everybody just a quick update. The Ravens are leading the Cowboys late in the second quarter, 14 to 10. Uh, Lamar Jackson, 7 for 8, 70 yards, one touchdown, one pick, five rushes for 53 yards and a score on the ground. Andy Dalton doing pretty okay as well. So uh, team of the week, last segment of the night before we sign off, I'm going with the Giants. Uh, they they beat Seattle, and this is this was the best win in Week 13 out of the entire NFL. I'm sorry, uh, this was the best win in sports over this past week. I'm gonna rock with the second best win in sports this week. The Washington Football Team give the Pittsburgh Steelers their first loss on this uh, NFL season. Love the story, even though I'm rocking with the Giants as my NFC East team. I'd love to see how far Washington could push it with Alex Smith at the quarterback position. Since Russo stole mine, thank you very much. Oh. No, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. Don't worry. I'm I'm playing here, folks. Don't worry. There's nothing going on. Um, I'll take the Buffalo Bills. They're looking hot. Very nice. Yeah. No. All great picks, and it'll be interesting to see if the momentum translates into next week and anything you guys would like to add before we sign off tonight. Uh, we got some good shows this week. We got Gabe tomorrow on the North Pole. It's a new day um, at eight to nine. I guess some good guests on there. You guys should go check him out. Tom, you got the big blue Avenue coming up on uh, Thursday. Yeah, I just want to announce that Big Blue Avenue will be starting at 5.30 this week instead of 7. We'll be running a two-hour show from 5.30 to 7.30. Uh, the first 30 to 40 minutes, we will have a guest. His name is Bobby Skinner from Talking Giants podcast on the show from Florida, actually. He puts up a lot of good content on YouTube. Make sure to go check that interview out on Thursday night at 5.30 here on our channel. And then I think we have uh, we have a very special Army versus Navy preview on Friday that Gabe's doing. So definitely looking forward to that. Yeah, so Gabe Flayton's going to be hosting a special Army-Navy preview show Friday at 8 p.m. He will be interviewing Army beat writer Sal Interdonato, uh, who will actually be in attendance for the game. So that should be very interesting to watch. Uh, that will be 8 p.m. So we have a week filled of shows. We have Gabe tomorrow us on Thursday and Gabe again on Friday. So guys, thank you very much one and all for joining, watching all the fans out there. You guys make the show. So really appreciate it. Uh, remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel at review and preview sports to catch all our exclusive content, including outside content, not just from shows. So you can get everything that you want. Exclusive fan content, all interview segments that we do with our guests, James and Kyle. Thank you very much for joining me tonight. Really appreciate it. We will be back next week with some more sports talk, some more football discussion, college football discussion, get into some NBA news. You've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live. Everyone have a good night and see you next week.